Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Last Talk More Movies, the show where we try and talk about movies, but never talk about anything and everything else. (laughs) 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 It's fine. I am your host, Michael Breslin. To my left is... John Coyle. To his left is... John McKillen. And to my right... Calm hair. Yeah! Yeah. He's back, baby. He's back on the street. The the king. (laughs) (laughs) Heron, fully recovered. How's it feel to be back, pal? Well, fully recovered. Not really fully ah, well, recovered. <laughs> <laughs> it's all half a leg. Hang on. I'm not happy to be back, man. I, you shit. Gl- you glad to be here? I fucking right. And, uh, well, obviously, we're giving people updates while you're away about kind of the, the accents, stuff like that, and how, you were, how you were getting on. So, how you feeling now at the minute? I'm feeling good, man. feeling good. I, uh, well, walking, semi walking. My shoulders giving me jippo. Without uh, fighting arm like me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nah. But uh, no, getting there, man. No, head's good, you know what I mean? Excellent. That's the main thing. And like we were saying, I mean, when, when it actually happened, fucking, we, we didn't even think that you'd be up in your two feet already or even back to be able to do the podcast. Mm-hmm. So, fucking serious, serious progression so far, like brilliant thing. That's it, too. It's like, uh, remember the Titans and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, voices, what is pain? French bread. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a coach Carter like uh, influence in your life to kind of pull you through, get you this far? Uh, Dave Grohl. <laughs> <laughs> well, when Fuck he broke it. his leg. <laughs> uh, well, I, I was sort of coincidental, but uh, no, the Waste Night album, uh, some of the most fucking excruciating days of learning how to fucking walk again. Uh, that was, and I didn't, coincidentally, I didn't use the song that has the line, Learning How to Walk, in it, but I uh, used another one called Bridge Burning, which, uh, any pain, you just put the earphones on, blared as loud as you fucking can, and just go through it. Like fucking <laughs> excellent, that obviously worked too. I fucking hate it. Super. Never want to listen to that No, but like if you've ever like a song really fucking hard to go through, like I mean, you've everybody probably that tune. They fucking love to go mad. They just listen to that and fucking bear down, just go for it. Like, but uh, in the flesh, uh, my brother, he was. Oh my. Serious fucking, he's like my personal trainer. <laughs> <laughs> and he was there throughout the whole thing. Uh, every what, day. What would you actually, you brought up an interest about, what would your album be for getting through a, a tough time, a hardship, Michael? Well, I, I thought more of just a single song where you love to go mad, day, and it's uh, Cheap Vodka by Aspa. Oh, that is a good one. <laughs> that is a good one. No, that is good. Thank you. Shan just uses Cheap Vodka. Uh, <laughs> no, when I have don't need music like me baby yeah. no when I have heard something like just put on radio and cry man exactly <laughs> 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 no. about the problem uh, yeah. no the song for the dead between the sun and age nah there's so much drive there yeah I mean just that whole album 
What about my envy? Venga boys. I'm also jumping, probably. <laughs> Absolutely true, to be fair. Mind you, a better time system. <laughs> you do genuinely love the Venga Boys. It's fucking so manly. Are they not pronounced like the Venga Boys? Aye, it's the Venga Boys. Aye, because I Venga. Are they Spanish? Yeah. Are they actually? Aye, because I Venga. They're not like Central European or something. Aye, but they speak Spanish. Who cares about where they formed, you know what I mean? They were a fucking seminal. They just said the name when they were in Spain. But the Venga is Spanish, so it's Venga. So it's Venga boys. But, you know, the Venga boys are jumping. Is that the lyrics of this? Aye. Ridiculous, a good song. Venga, Do you know the Venga? Ah, it's so catchy. No, the Venga boys are pumping. Pumping. Everybody's jumping. That's what that's Oh, I thought everybody was pumping. They're not interchangeable. Well, they might be. Later on, <laughs> 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 after song, <laughs> right? I got Danger Ball this week. I thought because it was Heron's return and stuff, I got. I thought I would go mad and buy two Danger Balls. <laughs> yes. Like, Two danger balls. <laughs> he just got paid and he just wants to go mad. He's just using your return as an excuse. No. If you were too, she's my birthday as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, well, Dad's birthday too. So yeah, well, like, that. yeah. Dad's birthday's on Sunday. I like how the car special is two drinks. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm actually quite proud of this as well because it's two danger balls. Know, we got, we're going to some risk. What age are you, Daniel? I'll be 27, Mickey, my oldest friend. Thank you for remembering my birthday. <laughs> yeah, join, yeah. The, join the club, the I'd 27 absol- club. I absolutely no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Two danger balls combine the value of six pound fifty, which I think is not bad whatsoever. It's pretty good. So, first danger bottle is this one. Shit, this is just like an aperitif. In there, is this what we need the jars for? I got no, no, no. I got us four snowballs. Oh, now I sent you what snowball is, right? The only reason I bought it is it is a lemonade advocate and lime. It's only three point five percent advocate. Ad- Have, no, see, did you ever drink the advocate you bought? This is the reason I bought it. I got a big fuck off ball of Avocat for Christmas because we're just kind of like stocking up for Christmas and getting right. all the drinking that, and it was like six pound. And <laughs> he just got paid. <laughs> <laughs> I got paid, baby. But, uh, September is all I stocking up for Christmas. Bought it last March, but uh, <laughs> got this. It's like a, essentially what Avocat is. It's like a custard. It's a Dutch custard liqueur. I don't know exactly what it is. I know, I know, but that's it's all that up. shit that's always on sale, Lidl. Exactly. Uh, is exactly. It thick? It's it's mm. thick and it's like bright yellow. And it just kind of caught me because it's fucking near enough luminous. It's like pack a lily. It tastes like bread. It was really starchy. It was awful. Ah, it tastes like custard. I can't remember what it tastes you like. Had, you had it in a beer? No, we no. had it up here, did we not? No, no, we oh, had right. it in Scrubs Garage at 6 o'clock in the morning. We couldn't remember our lives. All these drunken times just blend together. You're drinking, it's a confined space. It's <laughs> <so hard. laughs> I thought there, were, there was going to be four of this in a podcast tonight, and it's four wee money bottles. And as I say, it's only 3.5%, but I just fucking I give it a go. Two fifty for four of them, like so. Oh. Why not? Eh, fuck it. Wait, so wait, we necking these. You'd be losing money if you didn't buy it. We could straw peel these new barley. There's one for you. It's fucking such a ridiculous. Nice. Small bottle. There's one for yourself. Smooth and refreshing. Oh, yeah. Can I not drink it? <laughs> one for yourself. Oh fuck! Do we have a bottle opener? Yeah, no, there's, there's one in the uh, middle. Happy days. There's one uh, literally in the middle of the table. Right, also, the there's absolutely the headless horseman. There's no description on snowball. Obviously, it's that cheap. They didn't fucking bar even trying. So we'll just pop it open and see what it's like. Like I said, right? Lemonade, advocate, and lime. The reason I didn't buy it too is because Avocat being creamy and almost being like, because it's actually used for like dessert purposes in Holland. I work with a Dutch girl and she was fucking giving me the whole history of it. So I'm kind of interested to see what it'll be like with lemonade. I don't think it's going to be very nice to be quite honest with me. It's, um, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's essentially, if you look at it, it's lemonade, lime and custard, which does not sound good whatsoever. Oh, it smells absolutely awful though. I mean, I haven't even popped mine open yet. It smells like it ass. It smells like lemon curd or something. 
Yeah, it does. Right. No. The name Snowball makes it sound like it's a good idea. It does have a bit of a hoop smell there, doesn't it? It smells like ass. Yeah, we'll give it a go anyway. Her belly button. It tastes kind of like off ice cream or something. It's not bad. Like any of you ever, uh, when you're younger, put a slice of ice cream and a glass of lemonade? A Coke float? Yeah. Aye. Mm. Aye. It's but like one lemonade, of them, except it's like, <laughs> you know like lemonade or fucking orange or something. Do you know what they call a Coke float in Belfast? Yeah. A brown cow? Fuck a lay off. Brown Coke cow. Far better, ain't he? That's not bad. Oh, when I was away, I used to pretend, it, pretend I was drinking Guinness. Like, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> so next mate, oh, oh, well, oh, I'll tell you what's Shooting the ship, my dad was fine. Like, oh, yeah. The big boy table. <laughs> what's our thoughts then, Dan, on the snowball? It's all right. You know what I mean? It could I, be I worse. Don't, I don't like it. Also, just. I'll still jerk <laughs> Well, to be fair, that's the most minute bottle you've ever seen in your life, so you'll probably be fucking pumped through it in a couple of seconds. Uh, also, just speaking of custard. Shall we Terrible. tell the tale of our? Shall oh, we tell? Yeah. Shall we tell our custom oh, tale? I can't, I can't believe we haven't told this yet. <laughs> <in the laughs> <bucket. don't> you know. <laughs> Michael, do you want to set the scene? Um, <coughs> well, we went down to Belfast to visit Heron in the hospital, Shannon myself, and so we got down and said, "What's the crack? All is here." And so uh, we decided to go for a wee coffee just in the in the canteen bit of the hospital. So we were waiting Heron down. And uh, Sham was all oh, sure. I'll go get the drinks. You, you get a tipple or whatever. Can we just confirm as well? Sham was absolutely hanging. Oh, I had to get the bus down to Belfast. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. uh, I went to bed. What was it? Left here. I, I don't even know where I was the night before. But I got to bed at about six o'clock in the morning. I had to get the eleven bus to Belfast. So I had about three and a half hours sleep. Be honest, like, be honest. I was, I was, I was, I was expecting to pull out because the news were doing a podcast the night before. <laughs> oh, no, hey, no, no. Sheer commitment. What? Sheer commitment to that Wasn't call. Just very you, you were here, did I think I was here to, oh, but we were both here, Aye, that's what it was, we sat here, we sat in your living room, they were half sex watching Toast of London, and fucking marvelling over how good looking John Hamm is, and I left oh, here half sex. I haven't even realised it was like half sex yeah, in the and we were all, we have to get a bus in like fucking five hours, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, hanging like a bat in a bus, so uh, went up and I thought, right, I think you used to just wanted two lattes or something like that, something yeah, like that, you just wanted a latte each, so I thought to myself, okay, you know what, I'll, I'll fucking get her and a wee treat as well again, and we fucking curry chip or something like that there. And so there was a self-service part, and there was a kind of mince pies and sausage rolls and chips and curry sauce, and I thought, right, happy So self-service, I got a wee polystyrene box, put the chips on, whacked the custard on top, and then I went up to the girl who was serving. She's all, what's in that wee polystyrene box there, love? And I says, oh, it's just a curry chip there, hey? And, you know, because she wanted to know what she had to charge me. She's all, we didn't have curry on the day. I said, what are you talking about? Flopped it open, custard on chips. <laughs> <laughs> I was but raging. You, I wanted a custard chip. But you know the first thing is she was all, don't because she could tell there was about fifteen people behind me pushing themselves laughing because they'd all heard it. She said it that loud, but she kind of realised herself. So they make me feel better. She's all, you're not the first person that's happened this. <laughs> so I was all fucking Jesus definitely Christ. am. But then she was all, I'll give you it for free. I'm, I'm not fucking taking it. You should have brought it down for a bit of crack. You it? No, but Chen, you could have tricked us into thinking it was a curry chip. That man was fucking going through some serious surgery. We give him a custard chip and throw him off his fucking recuperation. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, that would have <laughs> just no broken. No recovery, right? No smoking, no drinking, no custard chips. He's managed well, on not But, uh... Aye, oh right, well fuck, another danger barrel. This one, I think, is actually sweet. I'm not impressed by the snowballs. No, well that's the same. I can't like it. This was just a wee add-on, like, you know what I mean, it was a wee add-on. Be lovely if it was cold, hey? With a, ah, a wee dessert job, like, like Maybe give me a wee bit of ice or something like that there. On a beach, hey, in fucking Holland. But, uh, the next <laughs> one is, and I give you a couple of glasses at Christmas. And this is why I brought the four tumblers, well actually four jars up, because you didn't have four tumblers. It is... 
O'Connell's Irish Cream. Oh dear. Mm. Now, I've said to you many, many times before, this is essentially Tesco's version of Bailey's and it tastes the very same. A 10 glass of Bailey's is £13. 10 glass of O'Connell's, 4 down. Ridiculously good. good. So yeah. We question, do we have a jug of milk, man? Uh, no, we do. I was looking for ice as well, so we could pour it in. Aye, there's milk downstairs. Is there? Do you want to get some? In no way did you look for it. Well, see, I would just drink it usually without the milk. Like, why do you usually take it with? Do you like it? I'm alluding to you now. What? Fuck you, that, and milk, white Russian. Oh! oh <laughs> that's not bad, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hell of a Caucasian, yeah. Oh, it's a <laughs> hell of a Caucasian, yeah. Right. It's TMA or something. It's TMA or something. Coffee, Co- coffee liqueur, look. Yeah, you can get away with that. You can oh, get away with cream. Right, just so fuck, please, a couple Just of fuck about it as the coffee, I don't know. No, I don't mind. It's from a jar. I want it from a shoe. There's <laughs> <laughs> yours. Oh, creamy beige. In my defence, this creamy is as hipsterish beige. as I get. <laughs> Drinking uh, out yeah. of jars. Jam, jam, jam. <laughs> I think you buy it. Fucking four tumblers for fucking about two pound in B and M. Love for B and M. I don't <laughs> use tumblers. Would that have done? That kind of glass. That kind of small glass. Yeah, that's pretty much a tumbler. I have three of those. Hey. Here. Here. Is yours? Why I get the mincemeat jar? <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Have I have a jam, do you? Ah, uh, it's you a jam jar. jar. <laughs> uh, mine's is classic. Mine's is nondescript. Mine's is just standard jar. You it's see, this a marinade jar, jar if I ever see one. This this mincemeat <laughs> one would be fine if you remove the label. It's just the fact it says mincemeat on it. <laughs> it's a bit off. Tell us as well. Why did you have mincemeat in the house? I uh, John made mince pies at Christmas. Oh, <sighs> I mince pies, right? Well, here the hair, the hair return, the hair return. The good health and etc. Hey. etc. Yay! Cheers. Cheers. Sharp. It does lovely, well. It just does Bailey's, like, you know what I mean? And actually, it's, it tastes like you want more chocolate there on Bailey's. But it's, just chocolate, yeah. it's good, it's good. It's quite it's quite chocolate there, So you've had your aperitif, you've had your main. I think for 6.50, it's not a bad fucking danger week. Not a little. Not it's bad whatsoever. It's a good week for danger. <laughs> <laughs> quite, quite dessert based drink. Aye, 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 right enough. A custard fucking lemonade and just well Bailey's like after your custard chip. <laughs> <laughs> Change me, man. You know what I mean. What have we watched this week, folks? Passes the DK down, kill him. I'm still laughing with you. Uh, Anomalisa. Oh, boom. Yeah. yeah. Never met her. No. <laughs> uh, it's a new Charlie Kaufman stop motion animated film, and uh, it's very uh, well. It's very surreal in a way because there's only three voices all the way through. There's a uh, Richard Thewlis, I always get Thwellis. Thwellis. Mm. Uh Jennifer Jason Lee, mm-hmm. and there is Tom Newman. And the thing is, uh, the entire plot is that uh, Michael Stone is actually the name as well, Richard Thewlis's character. Mm. But it, yeah, he checks into uh, <laughs> yeah, same not that sort of film. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, he checks into a hotel because he's meant to be giving this discussion on retail, even though he seems like the direst bastard you ever met in your life. I've uh, seen Richard Thewlis before in Naked. He plays this pompous, pretentious scummer of a man, and he really seems to. Probably people who like just for whoever's listening who would identify more with him is probably more famous for Harry, Harry Potter. Potter. Harry Potter, I Lupin, yeah, Harry yeah. Potter, but or uh, uh, Lee Conco uh, and Big Lebowski. Ah, that's right. He's the Big Lebowski too. <laughs> he's fucking. Ah, he's the fucking really annoying baldy artist. Oh, so is I. <laughs> I oh, he's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> the video artist. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the fucking most. Screech and laugh of all time. Who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> 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 
paychecks in this hotel. They're staying for a couple of nights at the Fergoli Hotel. And uh, the Fergoli sort of condition is this rare syndrome where you believe that every stranger you meet is the same person, just wearing a different face. Which brings us back to this point that Tom Newman, he does all the voices of every single person he meets. And they have this, because it's all stop motion and puppets, they have the same blank features and he does an amazing job you know he talks as children as women as people just having conversations or arguments amongst themselves in the background but then eventually he hears another voice this girl called elisa or lisa sorry who then dubs her anomalisa because she's sort of a, an anomaly but because it's coffin you know things get really eventually very very strange they do a lot of stuff as well it's like it went the way that i thought was a lot more disturbing than what i thought it was mm. going to turn out and Obviously, Kaufman. I mean, we've seen it before. It really reminded me of being John Malkovich, where oh, so I better grab it. Oh, definitely. Like, yeah, I mean, like, there's definitely there's a definite lightness to being John Malkovich. Like, like you were saying, Anomalisa. As it went on, it's it becomes kind of I wouldn't say horrifying, but unbelievably dark. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, there's sort of undertones. I mean, especially the very final scene. And you know, mm. if you're sort of like looking at it, because obviously this man's got a mental illness or a mental condition. But if you look at it from the outside, then you don't really know exactly what have you seen has actually occurred. And what is it that's just playing on this man's mind who's obviously got some mental condition, who's obviously obsessed with sex mm-hmm. as well, and who just runs on insecurity. Uh, I thought it was fantastic. I mean, it's like, mm-hmm. I will say one thing, that because it's adapted from a radio play, some parts maybe, I think it might have worked better like that. Like, do you know what I mean? There's some parts that are maybe a bit overlong, or because there's a lot more exposition, or they do things to keep it exciting that maybe doesn't work as well. But it's definitely worth a watch. I mean, I love everything Coffin does, so yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. I kind of liked how you were saying how it's adapted from radio play, but I liked how minimalistic it, it kind of was in many ways to him. Like, there's a lot of scenes with him just in his, like, hotel room, and most of them, like, essentially the whole film takes place in that hotel, even mm. more so in that hotel room. But I, I, I kind of really liked that, because it was, it was almost like a slice of life, and it almost, it's as true a look on the, like, a human's life that you'll see. I mean, most of the reviews that are kind of coming out about the film, ironically, are saying that it's probably the most human film of the past couple of years, or it's, you know, exceptionally humanistic. And it's sort of like a cruel irony that it takes stop motion to be able to portray human emotions in that sort of way, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's a scene in as well, you know, uh, a sex scene, and apparently they laboured hard to make this not funny. You know, it's two mm. puppets having sex, but it's actually one of the most realistic sex scenes I've ever seen in Fulham because it's not done for like sort of titillation yeah. it is sort of you know just sort of forms the natural way you would assume it does I think it's the anti-team America oh, <laughs> you know what I mean like yeah, you, yeah. you look at that scene in Team America and that's completely played for laughs just like stupid humour two puppets kind of having sex with each other and this I mean you were discussing this before I think it's one of the most moving sex scenes I've ever seen or just intimate scenes that I've ever seen in a Fulham ever and it's just weird that put, look at the amount of probably intimate or sex scenes that you've seen in films you know since you fucking started watching them and so many of them are so samey and so drab. I actually despise seeing sex scenes in a film unless they are relevant. To the plot, unless yeah. they're relevant in art because always it's just a wee bit of fan service. It's just a wee bit of titillation just to kind of keep you intrigued. But this was kind of dev- not, no, not, not devastating. Sorry, it's a completely wrong word. It was, was kind of beautiful in its own way because it was a proper consummation of the relationship. Yeah, it's this sort of thing as well because they were puppets and you could obviously, you know, uh, make them look however you wanted to look. But they actually look very much like real people. Their bodies aren't made in a certain way that's would have you believe that they're you know there for pleasure if you know what i mean like mm-hmm. you know they look like real people during it i mean even jennifer jason lee's puppets are a lot less attractive than what she actually is as well yeah. in life, which just sort of plays up to this sort of idea that because her voice is the one voice that he doesn't hear that he's actually like he's in love with a voice and he sort of enamors her or she just as her with you know because apparently he's like this very famous man but he only loves the voice 
and then yeah. he doesn't really give a fuck about her at all and he treats her like despicably yeah yeah but yeah it's a i mean it's a harrowing film in parts and uh, i really really enjoyed it I, yeah. I love how they reveal that too because at the start when he first meets her and hears her voice and it's the first time he's ever heard another voice bar the you know like tom newman's voice who he's hearing in every other character he meets what i really liked is that like you said he's completely enamored and there's this scene where they're both lying in the bed and he's he's just saying i'll keep talking you know it doesn't matter what she's talking about but just so he can hear her voice and at the start that seems really sweet but then it degrades very very quickly and they him being an absolute control freak and an absolute winker and like you said mm. he's only interested in the voice not interested in her whatsoever and i thought it was just a really good it was a really good way of just representing how so many new relationships turn very bad very quickly when you kind of pack away that sheen you know when you first meet somebody new you're all about the positives and usually somebody's nice but then you know there's a lot of times where that person isn't as nice as what they presented and yeah, when you yeah. get into a proper relationship there's a completely different person there you know what i mean and he turns very quickly like you know what i mean oh completely yeah. i mean there's that scene as well where uh he ends up giving this speech near the end and it's just i mean it's very very hard to watch and puts his cringeworthy even mm. and it's like you can see where he's coming out with all these things which you've seen like you know his journey throughout the film and you can see the sense and what he's saying and what you know the purpose of what he's doing but if you were an audience during that you'd think this man's fucking lost his mind yeah uh it's it's a strange thing about speech too because he actually comes off as a buddy a prick and that and that makes it uncomfortable too because you don't want to call somebody a prick who very obviously has a mental condition but the way they present that is that I think they present that in that way because it's very hard to tell sometimes that you could easily just kind of label somebody, oh, he's he's a dickhead or he's not a nice person or blah, 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 but they actually might have something else going on way more deep-rooted. Well, yeah, I mean, it's that sort of thing that I see a lot in, like, Kaufman films, well, especially being Joe Malkovich, where you have this idea that a lot of people are, like, driven by one thing that informs all their actions, but then just because they have that doesn't mean that we should not give them... They, they don't possess their own agency. Yep. Do you mean, like, you know, people sometimes do despicable things because... Even though at the core they might not be that bad, you know, really bad people in their day to day or whatever, there's something like inherently wrong with them. But some people have like a, a gaping hole in them. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you see him being John Malkovich, where you know these people just want to not be themselves and be someone famous for a little while. But uh, in this film, that you definitely see if this man obviously has a problem. But it doesn't, it doesn't excuse how much of an absolute self-contained asshole he's being yeah. a lot of the time. But yeah, I mean, it does bring up those sort of questions, like you know. Well, obviously he's very mentally ill, but then where where does the line get drawn? I mean, can people just blame everything that they do on a preset of social conditions or, I mean, free will comes back to that, doesn't it? Big time. And I think that's really what Kaufman tries to get at all the time. I mean, Cynic McBeef New York was all about that as well. You know, well well pronounced. That's what I usually trip uh, up on. I know. <laughs> no, I'm, I, I practice before I came. <laughs> Stand on the mercy of it there, <laughs> But yeah, I love Kaufman's work and I'm looking forward to seeing what he does next. Aaron, what did you watch this week? Uh, I watched a film called Bad Company. Not the Chris Rock, Anthony Hopkins one. Of course not. Uh, the <laughs> 19- yeah, like Chris Rock fan. <laughs> <laughs> Take him or leave him. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's a 1972 film. We, uh, Jeff Bridges is kind of, he's the second lead in it, but obviously when they re-edition it, he's the, the one that became the biggest out of the two leads. The other guy's a guy called Barry Brown. It's not the boy that used to beat up Cher. It's uh, <laughs> an actor. And that's Bobby Brown. That's Bobby Brown. <laughs> <laughs> but I... Uh, but uh, it wasn't uh, Cher either, was it? <laughs> <laughs> fucking Tina Turner or something? No, what in the Houston? No, what in the Houston? Houston, Houston, Houston you just got that reference all wrong. <laughs> 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 yeah. I was thinking of... Uh, no, I was trying to remember a Frank Zappa song where he kind of took a hand out of it. <laughs> Bobby Brown goes down. Did you ever hear that? <laughs> no. Uh, 
Well, I was hitting us this one, but I will. It's Graham. I got the title of the podcast. Now. That's <laughs> right. uh, that's, I know. Right. That's <laughs> <right>. <laughs> but, uh, it's really good. It was from the writers of Bonnie and Clyde, and one of the writers, uh, let's get his name here. He, uh, uh, Robert Benton, he directed it. And uh, it's just, it's just really kind of minimalist western, but it's set uh, just around the time uh, when the Civil War broke out. Mm. And uh, there's a lot of. Just the whole thing is any able-bodied men were sort of put uh, put they were pretty much and um, follows his character. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm just saying he's called Barry Brown. <laughs> 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 anyway, <laughs> follows him. He's a leader, anyway. Uh, who coincidentally is part of the Twenty Seven Club. I was just recently nearly part of the Twenty Seven Club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just turning oh. to myself I'll see you when I see you. <laughs> 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 Still got eight months to go here. <laughs> I know, right? right well, I'm not quite my check-ins just yet. But uh, uh, anyway, no, it's a really good film. And uh, uh, he is uh, Fireburn's character has a, has a, an idea. They move to go cross country to Virginia and where they're not dragging people into the war. But on his way, he meets Jeff Bridges, who mugs him. But then down the road, he catches up with him, and they end up. He ends up kind of following on my Jeff Bridges sort of crew of people that are trying to avoid the war yeah. and they're all I mean they're all roughly sort of 16, 17 year olds and oh. then so they're all well they're all played they're all meant to be 16, 17 but Jeff Bridges is about fucking 30 played by 40 olds <laughs> but uh, no it's, it's, it's really good hey, they had sort of sample on that uh, what do you call him your boy plays the big Lebowski and the big Lebowski's in it as well I never remember his name H- Huddleston something Huddleston something like that but uh, he's in it, and there's not it's not a particularly big cast on it, but it's the the story sort of because it's sort of episodic and and it's very character based. It doesn't really have much of a um oh this is an act, this is the next act. Yeah. So it just sort of moves wherever they would go. Like, and I really like John Savage is in it as well from Dear Mother. But uh, it um the main thing between the two characters is the. You think you trust each other, and then something happens, and they don't trust each other, and then they trust each other again, and then one of them fucks up, and they they don't trust each other and yeah. stuff. And the best thing about it is they never kind of resolve it. They pretty much go through the film not trusting each other, even though they have to stick together. They does don't that, trust each other. Does that sort of aid the narrative? Because there's always a sort it of does, intention. It does. Aye, pretty much. But they, you have to. It's out of pure necessity. They're walking. Over, they're fucking on horseback over the American plane, and they're not going to leave each other. But well, I mean, sometimes they do and sometimes they don't, and you know. But it's 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 really really good, and there's a voiceover in it as well. It's mad, like if you squint, your boy uh, Barry Brownie actually just he, he looks like a young Michael Corleone, and it's weird. It's actually shot by Gordon Wallis as well, but it's shot the oh, Godfather, so and it's just the inside bits. How's it just looks like a house in the Godfather? <laughs> it's classic, on it, but uh, and he's Deep wearing blacks. the suit, like just like black suit, white shirt. So it's really like those mm, colors and all. Yeah. But I, I would recommend it, hey. Really would recommend it. If you any of Sky, it's it's not on the classics or anything like that there, but if you're going to eat all and find bad company, it's there. Like. Cool. Nice one. Michael? Uh, I watched The Death of Superman Lives, What Happened. Oh, the documentary? The documentary. Oh, fuck. I heard about this. Is it good? Is that the Nicolas it, Cage one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, Yeah, it's it's really good. It's, uh, it's directed by a guy called John Schnepp. Who strong name. <laughs> Good strong name. <laughs> He's he directed a lot of you know that cartoon Metalocalypse? Yeah. 
He, d- oh, he, dir- really? he directed a lot of that. I hated that, but anyway. I'll not, Dave I'll, loved it, didn't he? I watched Dave. I'm not going to like... Worst hiss ever. <laughs> I never actually watched it, but anyway. I won't because Dave likes it. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Dave. <laughs> but yeah, so it's it's him just looking in the what happened with the film Superman Lives, which was supposed to be Tim Burton's Superman film, and it was going to be Nicolas Cage playing Superman. And he he pretty much talked to everybody involved in it apart from Nicolas Cage. Like he got Tim Burton, he got Kevin Smith, he got what do you call the producer again? Oh, the boy J- who John Peters is the fucking Spider Boy. Aye, the boy. Is this the boy who Kevin Smith rubs the episode back at him? Aye. Th- does Kevin Smith get another? Because obviously he was a screenwriter. Aye, that's what I said. He gets. Oh he got shit! Kevin sorry, Smith. sorry. I didn't, <laughs> didn't even see it. Yeah, he got Kevin Smith. He got John Peters is the producer's name and. Uh, Lorenzo de Bonaventura. Oh my word. <laughs> that is some serious fucking pronunciation. He was the head of like Warner Brother Pictures at the time. Uh, and it's just a really interesting story. Is it true that Tim Burton didn't want them to fly and he wanted them to have a flying car? They don't say that in the documentary. <laughs> right, <okay. laughs> that obviously but, would have been a misstep. But, but like <laughs> <fucker> <laughs> <now>. <laughs> I've always but heard it's, that. It's it's mad just some of the stuff they are coming up with and like, you hear Kevin Smith talk about his draft of the thing, and it has, like, Lex Luthor in it, it has Brainiac in it, it has Doomsday in it. There's, like, a cameo from Batman and stuff so in it. So blue. And there's so much stuff in it. But Just like Kevin Smith. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, he admits himself, he, it was, like, fan fiction. He was just throwing everything into it, like, because, like, it's his one chance to write a Superman film, you know? But just the, like, the it actually kind of starts off, it's, it's nearly like a making of, like, they just kind of delve into all the concept art and all the kind of ideas they had going. And there's footage of Nicolas Cage, like, wearing the different iterations of the suit and stuff and trying to... He has his big, mad, long hair. I know. <laughs> and they actually have a conversation about should he have long hair or short hair. And uh, Nicolas Cage is all, I'm, I'm kind of falling... I'm kind of falling in love with the, with the length of his hair. No, <laughs> the fact is that he was trying to make it like a fucking counterculture Superman or something like that there. Like fucking... Oh, I just soups with long hair. Hey, I would have been mad. Well, at that time in the comics, though, when they were doing... When they were uh, uh, doing all that stuff, the uh, Superman in the comics did have long hair as well. Because it was a few years after they did the death of Superman, and that's what Superman loves was being based on because it kind of rebooted the comics so they wanted to try and reboot the film and it's there's just it's just mental all the stuff that it has in it and uh the, like i guess was on about the the footage of nicholas cage wearing all the different suits and all but then you see him in his uh clark kent clothes and <laughs> he's wearing just like ordinary trousers and then a mickey mouse t-shirt then this like really oversized like blazer jacket <laughs> with like glasses on them with long hair oh, <laughs> and they're just like you look ridiculous he's all yeah but you would never expect i'm superman superman suit like you know what i mean super poor folks like it's so because it's back when he wasn't he wasn't he wasn't probably the size of cameron poe he was he probably like the rock sort of size Nicholas Cage, but he was never that no big. but no like he's Fucking huge in Ghost Rider. I believe in that. He's, he's never rock territory, like, and he's not Superman territory. No, Superman I'm saying the rock isn't a film, like, he was kind of slender. No, it took me a second when you went eventually. No, but uh, apparently, Con Air was the film he did after the whole Superman thing, so him as Cameron Poe is his physique that he would have had for Superman, like. Fuck. 
But d- like, you, see, I've you always s- been a fan. I've actually have been a fan of Michael Skeezy, and another film we watched recently was Bring Out the Dead. He was fucking brilliant, man. So good. Yeah. Mm. I you were saying that was. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Mickey. I was just going to say it's it was it would have been a mental crazy film, like. But it's it's the kind of thing as well that this was all pre-production stuff. Obviously, they probably would have rained some stuff in. It wouldn't have been as mad as yeah, what it would. Yeah, the studio had more of a look in. They probably went all right, cut but, that. But, I mean, <laughs> I'm not sure, because if you look at it, that producer, uh, fair enough, you only heard three anecdotes, but John Peters was apparently that crazy and had some of the fucking worst ideas that you've ever heard that it might not have been that rain back. There's, there's, there's sections of this film as well where it is just John Peters bashing. They just kind of <laughs> go out. They want, like, but, because... Like he he pretty much has an interview the whole way through it as well, and like Kevin Smith is telling the story that you were referencing before. Like I think he says it in like an evening with as well about him writing the Superman script and then going to meet John Peters and all the same. <laughs> <laughs> but you so ha- you have Kevin Smith telling that story. Have you, but have you heard that story? No, I haven't. Failed badly. <laughs> oh you- no, I don't want to go into the whole story then. Well, I just do you want me to tell it quickly. Streamline well, go tell it quickly. Oh, pr- pretty much what happens. Uh, he Kevin Smith went to him and uh, he turned around and says aye but can we have a a hundred foot pneumatic spider on it <laughs> <laughs> you said spider man I said like, what the fuck is he on about aye. a hundred foot and then he was all oh well oh. and then and then another one thing happened then because he, he didn't end up working with Tim Burton on that but he ended up I think nearly producing Sleepy Hollow mm. and Tim Burton went for a meeting and he was all can we have a hundred foot <laughs> You mad spider? I guarantee he knew a fella. He was just about to crack aye. this fucking And then Bert was there. I was just all, no, it's it's fucking you know sleepy hollow. Like. It doesn't fit. It's like a bad crane, like <laughs> you know, no. <laughs> it's turn of century literature, like no chance. <laughs> Even though some like old things. Like, yeah, yeah, fucking American literature. <laughs> First generation. But uh, and then wait, wait, where's came out then? <laughs> oh, he, he produced Wild Wild West. <laughs> <laughs> but the 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 thing in the Kevin Smith story as well, I he, he says there was three rules that he gave for the one, he didn't want to see Superman fly. Two, he didn't want Superman in the suit. And three, there had to be a giant spider at the end. <laughs> but but as Kevin Smith is telling the story, it cuts back to the John Peters interview, and he's asking like, oh. They said he didn't want them to fly or be in the suit. He was all, "No, it never happened." <laughs> <laughs> and then, he, and then he's, and he oh, says, the "And then he says with the spider, he's all, yeah, we see the what the what the spider thing." <laughs> 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 he's about the spider. <laughs> he's absolutely obsessed with the spider. <laughs> but see, see, you brought up uh, Wild Wild West as well, Heron. The like ult- ultimately the reason why the the film was cancelled it was it was a combination of things, but. It it was it was Batman Robin did did shit, but he, uh, Warner Brothers had a lot of bombs after that as well because it it's usually like a bunch of films that came out around the same time then that just it, they were losing money on like so it it's did it's, the Matrix uh, turn it around by any chance though? No, they they didn't mention the Matrix. No, but so so when it came down to the film being cancelled, then they said it was cancelled or whatever. But then Wild Wild West came out. And one of the one of the writers that like w- was a scriptwriter after like Kevin Smith, he said they actually said to them that the money they would have spent on that was going to Wild Wild West, right? And John Peters was producing both of these films, uh, so I'm thinking, in like this isn't in the documentary, but I'm thinking, did he 
choose Wild Wild West Aye. over Superman. But, but that, exactly. that was a big hit, wasn't it? Though Wild oh, West, Wild West, West fucking flat. no, I don't know. absolutely. Don't know. No, it was 170 million budget, no, it and it made like 100 million. Yeah, it was an oh, oh, yeah. absolute flat. Sure, it's one of the most notorious flops right, in no, the but you know what? That, no, that's what it is. I remember reading that Will Smith had like the most consecutive films to make yeah. over 100 million, but obviously the film made 100 million, but it didn't make it, any it profit. It's I'm just curious about that year because I know Will Smith was up for the Matrix. And so basically what you're saying as well, like Mickey, is you that? think that the John Peters intentionally sabotage Superman just so he could I, fucking put his focus on the Wild Wild West? Because I kind of have the feeling that he he would have been given the choice. Oh, be- Because he's a money, money talks. He was producing both of them. Like. Well, mm. there was a spider in, in Superman as well. They called it like a Bagarian snare beast or something. <laughs> <laughs> can, we ask the, as well. can we ask the question? What films would benefit from a hundred foot pneumatic spider on them? <laughs> <laughs> the cover as I was thinking, put your John Peters well, fucking arachnophobia. Arachnophobia, there we go. Aye. It's like he kills the last one and then just says, fuck that, a hundred foot bastard comes over the fucking Christ. farmhouse. <laughs> They've learnt robotics now. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they had an interesting thing for, for Brainiac as well, that he, he was kind of like a spider kind of creature. Like it, it was. <laughs> what is this man's deal with like, spiders? Like, like he had a cloak on him, like in the concept art. But then when the cloak falls off, it's just like legs, and he turns into like a wee spider boy. <laughs> but your John Peters got Spider Man. <laughs> what the fuck did he do that? No spiders. <laughs> no spiders. <laughs> no spiders. <and> spider <laughs> he needs to fly though. Hi. Has to fly. <laughs> it's a big ass on a suit but as well. <laughs> but he has to have long hair. But no that's mess. what I was saying. Like. <laughs> Parts of the film just turns into John Peters fashion, and he really doesn't help himself. Like he, like it, in the interview, <laughs> he, like he says, like, "Oh well, as I've been a street fighter all my life," and, all <laughs> and he's all like, "I've been in over five hundred fights," and like he he used to go into like the artists and like look at the concept art and all there and like get them in headlocks and stuff. <laughs> He just sounds like the most stereotypical wanker Hollywood yeah. producer. Yeah, I just cut his head. All the time. <laughs> more likely, more likely bashed out. But I was thinking too. <laughs> no, I'm not going to say it. Say, you have to say it now. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, picture John Peters, right? Meets up with Spielberg in 1993. Schindler's Lust, Hibble Read. Right, what do you need, <laughs> 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 See, when they go on that camp, you need this big fuck off. 100 foot yeah. pneumatic spider. Big swastika on it. You're sort of. Yeah. You know? <laughs> or like picture it's like fucking he, he produces Fury. <laughs> There's a big rumbling and all. Boy sitting there, like do the wee Spielberg thing, like the glass shakes and all, and you see the wee water shaking all out there and all. Boy, so oh, Jesus, what the fuck's that? You look up a hill. There's a fucking tiger tank. No, it's not that there. Look over our hill. There's like fucking spider. Just come on first. Fuck that thing. I was do we get Spielberg fighting glass shaking? Everybody knows what that means. Like we're fucked. There's there's a funny bit on as well because like another note he gave to Kevin Smith was. When Brainiac is at the Fortress of Solitude, he should he should fight somebody because like Superman isn't there, and Kevin's whistle. It's the Fortress of Solitude. No one else is there. <laughs> from Superman. He's like, oh, well, why doesn't he fight Superman's guards? He's like, why does Superman needs guards? He's Superman. <laughs> why doesn't he fight what? Superman's guards. <laughs> why would Superman? <laughs> so he says to him, oh, have him fight a polar bear. <laughs> <laughs> He's all why a polar polar bear is all because the polar bear is the most ferocious animal in the animal kingdom. <laughs> and but then if they bring that up to him in the interview, and he essentially says the same thing. He's like, "Well, what's scarier than a polar?" Bear? <laughs> <laughs> or maybe a hundred foot pneumatic spider. <laughs> <laughs> Bang! That's your fault. <laughs> 
<laughs> but like so, some of the other aspects of the film, not just slagging off John Peters, but I like the casting they were going for. Like obviously it was Nicolas Cage, Superman. Uh, they were looking at Sandra Bullock for Lois Lane. Oh, just doesn't work. Oh, they were, there, there's also Julianne Moore and Courtney Cox they were looking at as well. Courtney, all right, fuck, sorry, I thought you said Courtney Love. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> I went Nicholas Cage and Courtney Love as Superman and Lois Lane. Jesus. <laughs> Courtney Love, probably the most fucking, oh, Nicholas Cage and Courtney Love, the most decrepit in the trap. <laughs> <laughs> her band's called Hole. It just fits, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, they were looking at Chris Rock for Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> You can make his stuff up, like. But, but the 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 thing when they're talking about the casting, like they like when they bring up about Lois Lane, they actually show like they have like a list of people and like Sandra Bullock's at the top and then like Courtney Cox or whatever and Julie Moore. But then the Jimmy Olsen one, there's a big list of people. But then it says at the bottom, if black, <laughs> <laughs> Chris Rock or Martin Wayne. Oh, <laughs> fucking hell. No love for Gary Coleman at all. <laughs> there was a third one, but it wasn't Gary Coleman. <laughs> Who was, do you know any other castings? Um, Who was Lex Luthor? Oh, they they wanted Kevin Spacey, so. Oh, he, he, he played it That's one thing I got right. <laughs> and, uh, oh, for Brainiac, there was, oh, he was the first one they mentioned. Jim Carrey was the first one they mentioned, but Tim, Tim Burton was all, no, I was never on board there. But uh, Christopher Walken, he wanted. Jesus, for Brainiac. Cool, I don't know about that for yeah. the... Yeah. But but know. in the film, there's a part where Lex Luthor and Brainiac merge. No. <laughs> they merge. Aye, so it's Lexiac. Oh, <laughs> oh man. fucking hell! And but Tim Burton says, "Oh, that's another reason Kevin Spacey would have been really good because he can do a good Christopher Walken." <laughs> <laughs> this is class. I must watch this. I hope they watch this. It's really, it's really good. I ye if they have a website. It's 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 the it's the initials of each word in the thing, so it's like T D O T D O S L W H, the death of Superman Lives Will Happen. Yeah, you can rent. I just rented it on there. It's it's by Sex Point or something, so it's like going to summer or whatever. Yeah, it's just we still like air. I think like pay for it because it's like an independent thing. Uh, like he, yeah, he, it was a Kickstarter thing and all air. So oh, fuck, I didn't realize that. I thought it was actually studio produced. So it was a Kickstarter thing. I know it was just John Snap. Snap, sorry, was, strong name. Actually, just to bring it up, Anomaly so was also a Kickstarter thing. So it's good to see. Fuck, I don't know. Really? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Is uh, did you ever see the the Richard Donner called Superman too? Nah. nah. That's that's another weird thing because they talk about the previous Superman films, but they they keep calling Richard Donner Dick Donner. And it's just weird. It's like, oh, you know, Dick Donner's cutting those. It's like, when when did everybody start calling him Dick Donner? <laughs> it just sounds weird. I watched Dick Donner last night. We watched Demon for the first time in years. What a show. Class. We've talked about it before, though, about Richard Donner being, like, ridiculously <clears throat> versatile, but not really ever spoke about as being a great director. He's a fucking amazing director. He's good at all. all exactly. Them, like. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. you look the Omen, all the lethal weapons, all the fucking Supermans. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even them alone, like. Well, not all the Supermans. Not all Superman's, but you know what I mean? I read the first, the original too. Like, uh, what was it? There was a story on the Omen. Uh, Gregory Peck had a, uh, it was a scene where the boy must die scene. And uh, if you haven't seen it, take it out. <laughs> no, I'm with you on spoilers. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, and Richard Donner the whole time just wanted it, just him sitting in bed and a sort of a, you know, a resolve, like a decision. Mm. Gregory Peck ordered all these fucking breakables because he wanted to wreck a room. And, and you want to smash things and he's like no I'm not doing it and Donner and they sort of thought of this for ages and all and then Donner just says I, I don't think he even I don't think he gave in at all and apparently Gregory Peck pretty begrudgingly did this here and all or whatever and then finally they went to watch the screening and then it, it was over and all and then apparently 
Gregory Peck stood up and I go, he's all, the director was right. Because <laughs> 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 that quiet resolve works far better. Aye. You know what I mean? Far, far silly. better. So it's right like ground. a summer and it's like a, you know. Aye. But that's a sort of like change in cinema. Aye. as well. And that's how many, all of you want to be theatrical and, or, and, and or top while, you know, film gives you that opportunity to zoom in and show motion. Mm. Wrecking a room too. Like exactly. I mean, wrecking a room too. Like you were saying, it's just, it's such an obvious fucking display of emotion, whereas it's way more interesting if you see a man who literally has fucking been charged with a task of murdering a fucking, a fi- not only his own son, but a five-year-old boy because he is supposed to be the spawn of Satan. Like, you know what I mean? Mm. But just that sort of quiet acceptance while sitting in a room, having to do it. I think that's like, even re-watching it last night, and it's not what I'm going to talk about for what I've watched this week, but well, it, was, it, it just, is, yeah. well, it is now. Well, that's <laughs> What I liked about it is, is how it, what, the omens you're filming. Well, may I say, no, may I'm not joking. Right, Go I'll, ahead. I'll, just, I'll, I'll say this very quickly about the omen. One thing that still stood out to me last night, it's still how uncomfortable it made me feel towards the end because even uh. though you know that Damien is literally the spawn of Satan and he is evil incarnate, see when Gregory Peck snatches him out of the bed and is driving him to the chapel, they fucking like murder him. And I'm sorry again, like if you haven't seen the omen spoilers. It's that's so I could. There's no way of shooting that. Even if if they, they obviously presented in that film with Damien is supposed to be the the worst thing on earth, but there's no way to present that with looking right. You know what I mean? Mm. Like a grown man snatching a kid out of the bed. But how Donner handles that in the, the finishing scenes, it doesn't seem excessive. You know, it doesn't seem like yeah. Gregory Peck's this bad man. You cannot understand why he's doing it. Mm. But I'll not say what actually happens at the end because I don't want to completely spoil it. Mm. I can't. Uh, <laughs> film that I watched this week. The one I want to talk about is uh, uh, Everybody's Fine. 2009's Kirk Jones, uh, Robert De Niro's the the leading star in it. Essentially, what it is is uh, is it not Christopher Walken? No, it's not Christopher Walken. No. Where's my fine? De Niro is uh, he's newly widowed, so his wife's just died, and he's trying to reconnect with all his children. His children have all grown up; they all live in different part uh, in different parts of America. And the start of the films, him trying to get them all together for this meal, and it's kind of heartbreaking because it's it, you kind of think of your granda when you're seeing him, you know what I mean? You kind of think of somebody elderly living alone, even though it is the Nero when you, you you know you know how fucking suave he can be in all roles you've seen him. But it's heartbreaking to see all his children phone him one by one. They say, "Oh no, we can't make it," and he's just sitting in this kitchen himself, you know, with a kind of the, the dinner and stuff he got brought on because before that, it shows you him going about all these shops and he buys this like fucking seven hundred dollar barbecue. And he's like bragging to the boy in the shop where all his kids are coming around to visit him and he hasn't seen him in ages since his wife passed away or since the funeral or something. So that kind of hits you, but I think that the reason that everybody's fine apparently didn't do very well is because it was must-sold. It was sold as a comedy and then when people actually went to see it, the few people did go to see it because it flew on their radar completely. It's it's actually just a, a, a kind of straight drama. And what happens then, after his children don't come to, to have dinner with him, he decides, well... Fuck it, I've got nothing else to do. I'm retired. I've got a bit of money in my back pocket. I'll go to them. So it's kind of like this, you know, cross-country sort of, well, you would say semi-road movie, but it's not It's not as light as a road movie. He goes to visit all his children, but the depressing thing is, is when he goes to visit, he has four children. Very good supporting cast, too, is uh, son, Sam Rockwell. Aye. His Aye. two daughters are, he's got another son as well, who you don't see in t- until the end, but his two daughters are Kate Beckinson and Drew Barrymore. Mm. But, he goes to visit them. And he's got some jeans, man. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm telling you. <laughs> but uh, it's just, it, when he's going to visit them and stuff, uh, oh, what's quite interesting is that you would expect them to go see them and they'd be delighted, but there, there's this kind of underlying sort of uneasiness anytime he goes to visit each of his children and he realises that none of his children are happy. 
and not depressing because they keep kind of doing these sort of semi flashbacks. They hum back in like the 80s or 70s when the children are growing up and apparently in the 70s or 80s even though he was always a good father and always provided he was like overly strict and he expected too much of them and he always wanted them to be happy and there's this kind of voiceover thing that keeps happening where him kind of dictating to the children oh you're going to make me happy and you're going to grow up to be happy too so it's almost like force fed happiness you know they they were never given the opportunity to, to be their own people and it's kind of in a way fucked not fucked them up but it's kind of hindered them or, or I suppose hundred them as people. Mm. So when he goes to visit them, they are not as happy as what he expects. But there's this out all the three he visits them, and he kind of makes amends with them. But the one son that he can't get these, the first one they tried to visit, it's his youngest son David. And throughout the film, he kind of keeps saying that David was the one they'd always worried about the most, because the other three have you know pretty decent careers. They're all doing quite well for themselves. They mightn't be as happy as what they want to be, but they're still kind of making away, making away in life. Whereas David is he's kind of it's a bit stereotypical, but a struggling artist. And he's had like kind of drug abuse problems, um, you know, throughout his life, and he's trying he to. Plays get him. It's it's actually an unknown actor, which I think works pretty well. Cool. All, all the other ones, all the other ones are like obviously fucking very well known household names, and you can kind of identify with them. But David, who's the one he's trying to connect with? Okay, I, it makes sense. Casting wise, uh, you, you don't know him, and it's kind of cool because then when you actually do see him, it's like that sort of dustin relationship is mm. kind of played and and how we actually see the actor too. But it's a really really good film. It's. I don't want to say too much about the relationship with David and stuff because it would give too much away about the film, which packs a fucking serious emotional punch. But what I did like about it is just how subtly it's sort of treated. I think it's De Niro for me is the master of subtlety. I can't always want that I watch it because even watching the trailer, I was just like, oh, this is sort of. I don't think this is a comedy. See, I watched the trailer too, and that the trailer it is kind of passed off as a very light comedy. You know what I mean? And it's not that uh, whatsoever. There's like maybe the odd sort of bit of fucking like comedy in there the odd joke like but it's very like, like much real jokes so like, like you it's know, you real jokes aye, it's aye, like, no it's not aye. slapstick it's not like fucking dirty grandpa it's about to come aye, out this aye. week with Daniel, which is apparently horrific but uh, it is uh, first and foremost a drama and then it's got some real human jokes in there but you know they're few and far between it is just mostly a drama hmm. uh, it's sweet <coughs> like I was saying Daniel thinks that the master is <coughs> as well and the supporting cast kind of anchors them big time as well because they're all really well-established character actors too, especially the likes of Rockwell and Drew Barrymore. Uh, when he actually meets him, it has a punch, you know what I mean? I think the casting department deserve a lot of fucking credit for that too. But definitely give it a watch. It's one of those ones as well, like you were saying, you kind of want to watch it. It flew on the radar for me for a long time. Is it on Netflix it, tomorrow? Aye, it is on Netflix. No, has actually, it? no, no, it's not Netflix. I watched it on DVD. Mm. Sorry, I got to lend a DVD of someone. But it's not on Netflix, but definitely give it a go hmm. because it's it's a simple story it is a very simple story like you know a kind of older man trying to reconnect with his kids but it's just done very very well and also the director Kirk Jones which I was very surprised at also done uh, Wicked Ned remember that Irish film uh, like 1998 uh, which is a completely different film which again is, is quite emotionally poignant too but still has those uh, probably more comedic right enough but uh. Wicked Ned's the one about the boy who wins the lottery and then the whole town of the benefit from yep. it and they keep going yeah. I've never village. watched that is it? It's brilliant actually old enough I watched but the only reason that I watched Everybody's Fine is because I re-watched Rape Raping Ned <laughs> 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 totally different film <laughs> well <laughs> sorry it's, it's kind of the same idea <laughs> well I sure enough they're, they're ripping us fortune yeah. but uh, <laughs> I, I, I re-watched Waking Ned on Sunday Reaping <laughs> Reaping his fortune you know <laughs> I rewatched that and then I kind of looked on the director and found out it was Kirk Jones and then I seen this and I was like, oh fuck, I've always wanted to watch it but you should give it a go. I think you would like it, Michael, quite a bit. Oh, well, know? obviously, De Niro has to kidnap David at the end and kill him. 
Obviously. <laughs> Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, we shall move on to... Topics in your face. <laughs> Topics are balling. The underrated celebration. It was a dark day when they whopped that off a of fucking lineage. Just no, celebrations. It's always Topics. a celebration, but not as a bar. No, no, it's a top, bar no, no one. Hey, Topics bullshit. Four pack in a pound shop every day. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Colin told me one time about a joke on Christmas Day in a selection box. And uh, it was a wee Terminator joke. It was one of the first uh, Fulmer references Chris ever came out with me on Christmas Day. And he's just all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a wee shite line from Terminator, but they were like bitten and they so oh fuck, I got the fucking dairy mock one, I didn't get the whatever one, they turned around and he's just all couple more of these we can start it on the fuses. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember a fuse bar? <laughs> fuses are shite actually. I remember out there, but that's a They were manager heroes, but why not? So I'd cured Reese one. Remember a couple more of those we can start on the fuses. <laughs> <laughs> Kelvis, Kelvis, Jesus, I'm shit with names, mate. <laughs> uh, okay, Daniel, you have a topic. Yeah, I was uh, just thinking about voiceovers, and just you know, there's a lot of controversy surrounding certain voiceovers and certain films. And you know, is there any film that you think really benefits from a voiceover, or any that you think the voiceover actually really detracts? I th- I think every Pixar film really benefits from a voiceover. Yeah, why so? Because it would just be characters standing there, or would mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, Mikey. You're making a really indirect joke. Oh, okay, fair enough. God. Oh, God. <laughs> nah, so, uh, I don't know. I think there's a lot of... Even, like, way I love how Aaron just tried to carry on. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, there was always a way that a controversy about it. Like, I mean, not, not controversy, but it's definitely a, a thing that divides. It's a sore subject for some people. It is, and... and I mean, like all the old screen, like screenwriting sort of guru heads and people that sort of theorists and all, like even side fields, they say that if it's not driving the story forward, get rid of it. Yeah, so it's show, it's don't, it's show don't tell. It's it's, it's 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 like uh. that thing in adaptation, obviously, which is kind of taking a hand out of that sort of that I wouldn't say a theory, but that uh, stunts in screenwriting exactly, yeah. is that well, exactly what you're saying. A voiceover, if it is literally just dictating me what you're already seeing on the screen, then it's absolutely uh. needless. But I, I'm kind of splitting that sometimes too because I think like. Terence Malick in the Fat Man Lane, which is one of my favorite films ever, Aye. 
if it is actually kind of dictating what's on the screen to you, but it's still very, very poetic and it kind of butts into that sort of theme of tone moral loss yeah. and tone setting, then I think it works. It just depends. It's really, it's like, like what they say, like, deal with it with kids' gloves. Like, it's really, mm. like, just be very careful with it. I mean, I know one one really heavily disputed one was the earlier versions of Blade Runner. Mm. But, I mean, there is a part in that where he's in the, the ship, uh, uh, going to f- I think they find out about the job where he's going to meet Tyrell or something like this here and he explains the sort of Hispanic looking guy with a moustache that makes a wee uh, origami origami things yeah. um, and the voiceover he explains he's speaking a mixture of English, Chinese and Spanish which if you know that wasn't there I wouldn't have known that was yeah. part of it so it's was a part of it that informs you. It's telling you something that you wouldn't have found out in mm-hmm. the script at all. It's sort of noirish as well, isn't it? Like it fits Aye. in the Blade Runner. That, you it, know, there's it, this sort of... Yeah, it, 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 it does and it does. Yeah. I mean, there's some fucking dreadful bits. I mean, the first the first bit you seen was uh, that big coming down shot, the, the crane shot coming down and him eating... Uh, he's eating sushi or whatever and he's just like, uh, sushi, that's what my ex-wife used to call me, cold fish. Yeah, that's awful. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but it's like, it, you know, you can hear Harrison Ford going, I really could not be... Fucked. <laughs> <laughs> so she, that's what my ex-wife used to call me, cold fish. I yeah. said, he didn't want to be there, like that day, exactly. <laughs> you know. But uh, I think at the very end, I've, I've heard like there's two or three voices over at the very end after uh, spoiler, uh, rug of horror, fucking. No tickets really get punched. He just kind of dies, doesn't he? Yeah, he just kind of stops Aye. existing. He just, you know, he just packs. His battery on. runs out essentially. Aye, Aye. is the the whole body just packs on. <laughs> you know, see there. <laughs> Aye. But uh, and then there's like uh, I sat and watched him all night and this whole thing and all. And I think really clutching at straws is on right. We need to make us feel like a noir, but we don't really know what they talk about. You know Aye. this kind of thing, and that's where Blade Runner falls. You know by the wayside, like. But I don't know. I mean, like I kind of I was saying earlier, like I kind of w- I want that is a wee bit underrated as Pacino's and Carlito's way because I think it's the only one he's ever done actually. I from well, actually, to my knowledge, I can't remember if you never doing another uh, voiceover. So I, and I thought you're right, that works. But why does it work here? Tell me now. I think it works because, and, and I think it's like, I mean, you write and stuff too, you know, as well and all. And it's certain things like when, anytime you ever write something, there's times when I, when I, I write something, this sounds really fucking hard to talk about my own fucking shit. Like, but it doesn't matter. Um, where if you're writing the the first story. It's it, it can be alright, it can be interesting, but if you're writing a second story, I always kinda think of imagine you just got rid of the origin story. You had it and you had all the material, but you just went to the second story. Yeah. And you constantly refer to the first story. Because I know actually Curlito's Way, the story for Curlito's Way is the second book of yeah. two. The first one the first one's actually called Curlito's Way and the second one's called After Hours and that's what the script is, but they didn't call it After Hours because there's that Scorsese film called After Hours. So they named it after the first book, Curlito's Way, anyway. But it constantly refers to the past in it, refers to how you get busted, refers to all this other stuff. And I, I think why that one works is because it's 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 telling you stuff that's not on screen. It's telling Precisely. you how I know how the situation plays out. I've been there. I know, you know, if this boy's gonna go down, he's gonna go down. And it actually, you know, it's the scene the the, the scene that's ringing out in my head is after he fucking slaps Benny Blanco and he goes down the stairs and he fucking uh, they drag him out the back. And uh, it's a great shot, and it's a it's a great timing of a voiceover. He comes out the door, and the the line goes because I've seen it a million times. I know the timing of it. Even it's just like 
the voiceover goes, the street is watching, she is watching, and just after that said, Carlito looks behind him, like, almost just off, he looks yeah. sort of off camera, and it's just like, it just turns that up a wee bit for you, just the way it's timed. Yeah. He saw the street is watching, she is watching all the time, and then he's just talking about it, he says, I know what they're going to say if I don't kill him. He says, Carlito, he's flaky. I says, this boy has to go down, and this kind of thing, and it's just building up this whole point where he's about to kill Benny Blanco and it's just I'm not tell you what happens but it's you don't know and all the elements of film help that the voiceover the way it's shot the music the way you know it's an overshot he mm-hmm. looks quite small in that and then it's I mean he has power in that scene but he's just you know he doesn't want it and it's great like. I agree as well like what you're saying about Curly Do's Way the fact that anything he's saying in that voiceover is not only something that isn't what you're seeing on the actual film but because he's referring to essentially what you're saying in our novel and stuff that's off screen it also kind of informs the character that you're seeing even just through a couple of wee exactly. lines so it kind of builds that character and kind of makes a more rounded character in your mind or gives you this back essentially just this back information which is so uh, that's why the voiceover can be a very very neat tool I think for a screenwriter sometimes too uh. fair enough don't do what you were saying don't fucking you know just say what's happening on screen, but if you actually have a backstory and you want to look at Dexter, a voiceover, I'd say the worst example of voiceover is Dexter. That's horrendous. That's horrendous. He's all, uh, you know, so yeah, I know. I'll see you at the hospital. He says, "Oh, I told him I'm going to the hospital, but I'm not going to the hospital. I'm going to the docks." <laughs> Next scene is Jeep pulls up to the docks. You're all, I didn't need to fucking know that. Ah, you exactly. useless fucking cunt. <laughs> <laughs> but but with with Dexter. Just to defend a bit, because I quite like Dexter. Shit. Well, first four series, I'm not. No, Harley. But, uh, <laughs> no, but with, with with that voiceover, it's more his kind of inner monologue in his own head. It, <sighs> and I obviously, it's used to kind of give exposition. But it's a visceral show. You don't, you don't, you exactly. I really don't think you need it. Like. But not even at that, but, well, sorry, go ahead, Mike. Well, no, but just what I was going to say with voiceover in general, like, I think it worked. I kind of always question where it's coming from, because you get voiceovers that as I said in Dexter, like it's actually his inner monologue and it's him kind of talking to himself, ergo talking to the audience. But when you get voiceovers, that's just this kind of ethereal kind of narrator or something, mm. just a, a kind of away outside of the film. I think that's a bit strange. Uh, do you know what I mean? You're like a, an omniscient narrator telling yeah. you the story. Yeah, I know what you mean. But then, if but if they can bring that back into the thing of the film, like it's actually someone reading something or whatever, like like a Princess Diaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In comparison to Dexter, what you're saying, I mean, I understand where you're coming from. You're saying like it's this inner monologue of a character, but certainly, and this kind of falls on the screenwriters' plate, and it kind of comes down to their responsibilities as well. If this is his inner monologue, and let's be honest, everybody fucking thinks some crazy shit in their head, even the most fucking sane, normal human being. So if Dexter is essentially like a would-be psychopath certainly there'd be more interesting things going on in his head than just dictating exactly what's going to happen next. You know what I mean? No, it should no. be, you, you should, there should mm. be more interesting writing on there. No, but it, it does be that as well. Like, there's bits where he's just sat at a desk and then he's, he go, he's well, there's the whole dark passenger thing. And I he, hate that. I know. It's <laughs> so fucking nasty. Have you ever actually watched that? Yes, I've watched the some chat news there. Like, watched it recently. Oh, oh, you never told me no, that. No, no, but th- I didn't take it. It just wasn't on it. No way. It's fucking shite. That's why. Anyway, why are we talking about that? Well, yeah, can I bring up? Uh, I watched, again, Wolf of Wall Street. I think sometimes they start, you know, to get like this sort of erratic feel for the movie. And it is done all the way along, just how pompous it is and how pompous a voiceover can be sometimes as well. But yeah. I think it's also used. I think he deliberately, Scorsese deliberately uses it in Wolf of Wall Street because he wants it to mirror 
Goodfellas. You know, he wants with Wall Street to murder. There's also you have the the, the snapshot during the start. The, the, the whole structure is really good, fellas. Yeah, and I think the he does it deliberately, like. as if to say these two people are of the same ilk altogether. But I think one of the it's best voiceovers is, is yeah. good, fellas. And that day, you're right because it's a good comparison because you wouldn't even fucking put. Uh, what do you call from? What would you call really this character from Goodfellas? Henry Hill. Henry Hill. Fuck, I. You wouldn't compare Henry Hill and George. Is it Harry Hill or Henry? Harry Hill. Henry. Henry. <laughs> Henry. <laughs> <laughs> no, my joke. It's Henry Hill. You wouldn't compare Henry Hill and Jordan Belfort to be the same person whatsoever because you always you know associate Henry Hill with violence and he's a gangster. But then when you peel it back and actually look at it, they're the very yeah, same person. They're fucking. Yeah. They're actually mm-hmm. absolute fucking diehard criminals. Just one robs your money in a more kind of sanitized way. Whereas the other one's kind of more on the street, like a foot soldier sort of thing, yeah, you know what I mean? I mean, the best voiceover as well, I mean, Shawshank Redemption. Mm. Uh, like, that film, uh, the only thing really carries that film until, like, obviously, I mean, it's a fucking end of night, but, you know, obviously it's a very well-made film, but the narration really uh. does give it a lot more punch all the way through, and you uh. don't really know where it's going until that. <laughs> well, what are you laughing at? What? No, I'm, laugh- <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing at something I thought of a while ago, and it's just a, but I, I mean, I'm not taking the first to your point, but, but Red in the book is Irish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I just always thought it'd be great if he was like from uh, Dundalk or like <laughs> from Limerick or Sorry. something. So I have, I have to remind myself that some men aren't be meant to be caged. <laughs> <laughs> Dark feathers is just too bright. Hey, I don't want to always fucking see me friend again. Like. I saw you walked in fucking bare naked out as the day you were born. <laughs> Half blind from that day I was in shite to be on you. <laughs> I have to admit, I didn't think much sound of the first time I seen him. You thought it was so much. I know, I was all... Looked like a fucking stiff breeze to blow him over. <laughs> <laughs> he had a walk and a talk that just wasn't wrong in a place like this. Place. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is, this is, this this is me pre-prepared. <laughs> no, I fucking honestly, well, well, I sort of thought... And he's up, he's up fiber and I was like, I'm sure I'm sure I'm <laughs> honestly, I thought it'd be funny they, they recut the whole follow and stack it up somewhere. <laughs> just, but just, <laughs> but you know the best one? Is when Ray catches the baseball, he's just all... Maybe it's because I'm Irish. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that with Morgan Freeman. Shame from Donny Gall. Sure, maybe I just miss my friend. <laughs> anyway, Dan, you're saying about voiceover there. Shawshank is one of the best. Shawshank is one of the best. I... Well, yeah, well, I have 500 Days of Summer. I think I've actually talked about it before, but I think the voiceover in that's really good, especially in this one bit where, <coughs> excuse me, I think throughout the whole film, you know, we're seeing through Tom's eyes, and I know when you re-examine the film, you sort of realise that, you know, he's actually more in love with the idea of being in love. He doesn't really care that much about her as a person. Yeah. And there's one scene in particular where she's turning around and she's saying, I have this dream where... Blah, blah, and she's talking, but then the voiceover comes on, and it's Tom's. Uh, the voiceover says Tom's realizing she's saying something that she doesn't usually let out to people. But the fact is, like he's sitting there, and the camera zooms in on his face while his voiceover is going on, and we as an audience cannot see what she's saying because he's not listening. He's more sitting there being, like, "Wow, I'm getting in here." Do you mean rather than actually caring so much about the person? Uh, and I, I think it's a It's a great tool. use of it. Like, yeah, brilliant. I think that uh, film like demands a rewatch. It's very, very good. Do you know what's another good one? And. I don't think he's done it many times before, as well as uh, Michael Douglas from Wonder Boys. As mm. a Curtis Hanson, have you ever seen that? Nah, I still haven't seen it. Nah, it's the same boy directed like Confidential and stuff. Was it was yeah. he did? I think it was his film just after it. But it's sort of 
it's used in different ways. I mean, it's used to give you a context of who he is because the, the, the film moves really well and they cut out a way lot of shit and they just they just tell you it, you know, as you go. And you're like, oh, fuck, that makes sense with that. No, I, you know, he didn't tell me that before, but he's told me now. But then it also, it's used, I mean, because it's based in a book. I'd imagine in the book, you, you just, and, and you couldn't have done this as well as it's done in the film as it is in the book because he shot mid shot right in this scene and uh you, you can't see his hands his hands are off screen and then the voiceover says uh i don't drink normally and then you see his hand come up with a glass of whiskey there's mouth and he says but this was turning out to be one fucked up day mm. so it's timed that way that his hand comes up with a drink so but this was turning out to be one fucked up so day. it's obviously it's leading to the humor as well okay. uh, it's sort of it, it, it's it's used that it's one shot it's not even a cut but you just his hands off screen. He says, "But this turned out to be one fucked up day," and it's just, and yeah, I just yeah. like, "That's fucking quiet." I think it's kind of interesting what we've been saying because we've actually went through so many different versions of voiceover, and I think it is kind of informative in a way that a lot of people see a voiceover as being a very two D thing, but it just shows that it can have so many different applications in a film. It can lend to the humor. It can give a bunch mm. of backstory. It can literally, in the worst versions of a voiceover, nah. just dictate. We forgot what the probably story the best is. one though. Go on. Taxi driver. Ta- well, of course. Mm. And taxi driver, what I'm going. This is what I was sort of getting on the. Is oh, sorry. Obviously, the, the kind of really famous voiceovers are. There's. I don't think there's any genre that's more associated with a voiceover than film noir. And mm. you can see mm. taxi driver is of course being like a neo noir. You know, it's essentially just a noir character. It's a good visual noir. Aye, yeah, instead yeah, of being yeah. in 40s LA's and <laughs> 70s New York, you know what I mean. But the best thing that those sort of voiceovers do, and it was something they brought up earlier on, is that. It doesn't quite tell you what the story is. It doesn't really give... Well, it does give you a slight insight on the character, but it just sets the tone of the film, and it kind of gives that inner monologue like you were talking about in, in Dexter, even though it's not done as well. But it kind of gives you that inner monologue of the character. Now, they might be saying stuff that is seemingly unrelated to the actual narrative itself, mm. but it's still giving you an insight to what they're about and the kind of theme of the film in general. Because, I mean, like, even in, uh, say, Double Indemnity, if you were to compare Double Indemnity to Taxi Driver, uh, Walter Neff, I think, is the, the lead character in Double Indemnity. It's 1945, Billy looks like a really famous fall noir. But uh, he more talks about, like, his lust and passion for uh, Barbara Steinwick's character, who's, like, a kind of standard femme fatale. But he says it quite poetically. He's, oh, I never knew the crime smelled like honeysuckle and stuff like that when he first sees her. And... It gives a poeticism to the script, which also uh. kind of giving an insight into what his goals are and what his motivations are. Because uh. he knows that she's a criminal, but because she's so attractive, he's wanting to kind of pass that through. Well, just, just, I mean, you're talking about good voiceovers. I think that's all we've brought up. But uh, I would say that, I know you probably talked about it recently and probably done to death, but the Hateful Eight voiceover mm. is awful. It really, I think the fucking voiceover in Hateful Eight. Oh, it's I want to see, see it even less. Oh, he, it's himself. Uh, it's even himself. the voiceover no, in, uh, so in Inglorious Bastards thing. as well is also awful. The yeah. Samuel Jackson one. I mean, oh, I hated the. See what it is about Nat Trade film. Oh my god, it's so bad. Do you know what Lizzo one line would do it? But that's just like we said before. It's actually a line. It's a line from Wonder Boys with Katie Holmes turns around and says, "You're always talking about making decisions." And it feels like he didn't make any decisions in this yeah. book, you know. And that—that's what I think about Dexter. It's just like they didn't make any decisions. They're all fucking put everything into it, yeah. you know. Yeah. And everybody will be happy, but we're not though. People that really have, you know, a, a real sort of serious. No, nah, it's wrong. It's whatever. You know, and just really don't think it needs it. You know, not worse than a fucking saggy piece of work. Like, 
But that's exactly mm-hmm. what happens with Tarantino, and you're right. I mean, like I think Tarantino a lot of times thinks because he's got this encyclopedic no- knowledge of Fulham, he thinks, well, if I just throw that many references on these so many different genres and so many time periods, because I confuse them with this kind of standard, well, not even say standard, but it's trademark sort of brand of like humour, f- fucking mixed up with violence, violence yeah. that it's going to work. But I think in his earlier films, I, because I was a wee bit more focused, but now because he's had success through films like Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, he, anything, he like thinks he can get away with anything. Well, that's the thing, because there's certain things, like there's certain motifs like the Lincoln letter or even like the last shot, or the la- even like the very final scene of The Hate Flight, I really enjoyed. Mm. I thought, you know, there's a lot to be mined from. It's very good. There's no way that film should be two and a half hours long. There's but just the, no but way. But the there's not thing, enough but that, I think that's what's most frustrating about Tarantino was the fact that if you look at uh, The Hate Flight or even look at... Um, Django and Chain and Glorious Bastards, and there is a very solid, good film in there that could be told very well by a lot of directors, especially Tarantino, because he does have this niche and he's got this visual style and dialogue. You, dial- you know, yeah. he's got he's got a style this dialogue, but because he doesn't really have an editor's hand on his shoulder because he can kind of get, I'd say, full creative control. There's no way they kind of pull him back and go, you know what, that doesn't need to be in there because that voiceover, and I don't want to go into too much detail because if no one's seen it, that voiceover in the Hateful Eight. Is so bad. It's Tarantino's own voice. It pulls you completely out of the film. And on top of that, as well, what I fucking despise. I'm definitely not it. But what I despise about most ones annoying voices ever. What's <coughs> worse about most voiceovers, right, is that Tarantino doesn't even do this, and it just shows how many different things he's trying. To do. He doesn't even come up with a voiceover for the whole film. There's a voiceover for about three minutes, and then it's away again. No, but certainly it's, it's not even needed. Is is that not because when they showed it in seventy millimeter? Millimeter. Millimeter. <laughs> And when they showed in 70mm, they actually had an actual intermission and there was a break. And then that voiceover is the start of the second bit of the film. Like, does it happen about halfway through? I can't remember. I it, it, it might actually be, but I'll say this as well. There's no need for an intermission. There's no need I for... Like, it's divided into chapters I know, but for some reason. I know, but... It, but he's, he's done that way nearly all of But he's, he's trying to get back the whole thing of having an intermission on a film. Essentially, yeah, but, that, but that's, that, what that's all well and good if you have a film that's you know, I know he did like Grindhouse and Double Feature and all that sort of stuff. I mean, but it's all well and good if you've got a film that actually warrants it. Like, I think maybe Kill Bill could be mm. squeezed into one film, and maybe Inglourious Bastards. I think, I think they could actually be did two. do a cut of that, didn't they? Like, they actually had it out, like, a, just the whole Kill Bill, like the two films, yeah, sure. but it's like cut down to like three hours or something. But I don't see. I mean, we're, I, th- I suppose we're sort of getting off topic because we're now just, just kind of we're, we're now just going on there thing of slitting Tarantino. Our favorite thing. Yeah, I know. But <laughs> we're now just going to slit and Tarantino. Maybe talking about how he fucking too many cooks spoil a broth and he throws too many ideas at a wall. But in regards to uh, the voiceover, if you're going to do a voiceover, at least have the fucking balls to come up there a full voiceover because mm. it's very fucking easy to throw a voiceover run halfway through a film for three minutes to describe song. And Aye. in in regards to fucking. Uh, the hit flight it doesn't work whatsoever at least thank out your voiceover and fucking use it in a way that's going to enhance your character and enhance your narrative can i talk about another good one or are we move on yeah go ahead um hang on i just wanted to introduce that harry has entered the pod tent and he wanted to say something i was going to talk about the voiceover for terminator 2 Linda hamilton does it it's not that long but like she kind of narrates it at the start yeah we've been in the middle and then she finishes the story to him the ending is actually very good the terminal uh, i thought i thought it actually she really wraps up very well on that i think more with that air it's it's ju- i as you said it's more like kind of bookends like she yeah. does a bit at the start but at the end See, you're 100 percent. that's absolutely fine if you have a bookend and i'm not saying that if you have a voiceover in a film then you know every second scene or every sort of fucking uh establishing shot has to have some sort of voiceover on there but at least have it that it is throughout the film and not just this glaring fucking 
piece three minutes halfway through. Voice of God talking over everything. Aye, yeah, exactly. it's, and oh, it's just nonsense. I hated that. These are a brief encounter. Yeah, oh, yes. David Lean. Yep. Unbelievable. Uh, that's, a, that's an example of probably one of the best uses of voiceover, I think. Because the, the whole thing is about an affair, uh, a couple that meet on a tra- is there train station. Both of them actually, isn't there? No, just is from just her? her. Just from her. Aye. Uh, you're right though it's it's uh, incredible it's, it's great because it's sort of i mean she's married you know and this face so is he i suppose yeah it's the 60s and all and they can't the 40s you sure 1945 brief encounter very 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 oh, long time ago. brief encounter uh, 1945 no no I, I know it's black and white now but i thought it still might be the 60s it's but uh <laughs> it's fucking it's amazing hey? and uh it's the the, be- the be- one of the best uses of it because it's because Apart from what uh, you see on screen, you kind of don't really know which way she's going. Mm. And even in her head, you don't know where she's going. But at the same time, it's good to have another another insight on it. And it's it's just... It just tells you more. But it doesn't tell you all the character. It just tells you more. Because if it told you all, then why the fuck would you watch it? Yeah. You know, it tells you more. It just tells you a different psychology about what she's thinking about that situation. Exactly it's great. Right. It's what, what I've always absolutely loved about that voiceover is that... You see her when she first meets this man and kind of leads herself on being in this sort of semi-affair because, you know, the, the only kiss once, it's never, obviously, it's a 1940s mm-hmm. film, so it's never, con- they're not having a full-on affair, but even then, that was quite risky, you know what I mean? They show two characters having an affair and that being the main crux of their narrative. But what's oh, even... Wait, is this, like, in the train station or something? Yeah, aye, it's, it's aye. so famous. Like, oh, it's yeah. so, so famous. <laughs> yeah, but... Uh, <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I was kind of half paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> but... You were just talking about the Empire Strikes Back or something? Or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've no, I've seen that. Sorry. Mickey was just voiceover in his own life. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking how I'm going to murder everybody in this film. <laughs> <What's>, <laughs> just read Dexter on you. Yeah. <laughs> wonder what Dan look, what would look like when we know half head or something. <laughs> <laughs> just all right, have it. But you're exactly right about Brief Encounter. When it comes down to it, it is that you kind of see her and you can tell that she's sort of torn, but when she starts meeting him, she gets more and more kind of jovial about seeing him and more excited, but then at the same time, that's contrasted with this really kind of monotone voiceover that she has where she's kind of completely undercutting all the happiness of the affair and she's basically telling herself the cold hard facts of what she's going to do in her own life. And what's really good about Brief Encounter 2 is that it's not even like her husband's a dickhead, he's the nicest man of all time. <laughs> he's <sound> and it's fucking <laughs> 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 sound, 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 really sound like <laughs> Gent. Uh. <laughs> Was there a remake of that? No. Well, there was probably a rehash and it wasn't uh, called Brief Encounter and they said it wasn't. But sure I thought you were running for like a Brief Encounter of the Third Kind joke there. Uh, I haven't seen her mull in trying to come up with Well, no, I was nearly going to make a sequel joke because Shan said Brief Encounter 2. <laughs> don't matter. Or a porno. <laughs> Sheath Encounter. Mm-hmm. Apologies. <laughs> what What was the porno name? Sheath Encounter. Sheath Encounter. <laughs> well, at least you're using protection. Nah, <laughs> I know, you don't want a porno that has like a condom <laughs> fucking slang term in the title. Especially in the 40s too. Like, you know, like Johnny Bravo or something. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny Bravo. Johnny, Johnny Bravo. Bravo. Johnny, Johnny Bravo. Bravo for putting on a Johnny. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> That's what kind of man Dan Killen is. He wants to fuck around up us or fucking a fucking dom on. Scumbag. It's a wee man on Is that called bareback for now? A wee man on where his boy's just obsessed with his boxer shorts. It's just called Brief Encounter. For fuck's sake, Queef Encounter would have been far better. Or Beef Encounter. What was your one, sorry? Brief and Ronnie. 
helicopter. The <laughs> <laughs> <A> boga meal. <laughs> next topic, please. Yeah, so our next topic comes from a listener. Uh, Patty Dorn, who, as we all know, was pure last Wednesday. No, well. Is he pure anything to Jamie Dorn? No? No Jamie Dorn? Is that? Is that Fifty Shades of Grey? Fifty yeah. Shades of fucking Raven. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he he sent us a uh, message on Facebook. <laughs> Let's talk more movies podcast. You find us on Facebook there. Go, on, go um, and read it out instead of just on it. I kind of want to just it because it was a really long message and I don't want to read it. <laughs> you should read it. There are listeners, Michael. It's there a really long some respect. There are. Ugh. <laughs> All right, we'll talk. Because <laughs> <laughs> you like how I read it? Talk amongst yourselves, then. Why do you want me to read it? Because you haven't said much. I'd, I'd like to hear uh, your voice more. Thank you, guys. It's good fun. Uh, no, we'll just wait here to make us a message. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, let's talk more. No, so yeah. that's the same. You can just cut this until he actually gets a message. No. <laughs> Aye. No. Well, now I've said cut, that has to happen. No. We can't let the fucking audience know about the cuts. No, you know, like... Is Shannon the producer? Serious producer? He's, he's, fuck, he's fucking <laughs> demand to do a thing, and then you refuse to fucking fill while I get the thing off. Anyway, I got it. All back. Right. Okay, so Patty Dorn sent this message on Facebook. Let's talk more movies podcast if you want to get in contact with us. Right, lads. As he starts off. So imagine an entire world's movie catalog has been wiped out, not a copy of any movie left anywhere in the world. Turns out Barry Obama, Barack Obama, in case you're confused, I was lost, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. is a massive fan of listening to lads from Derry getting blocked chatting about movies, and he can't have the U.S. turn into a cultural wasteland. I'm with you. And so I thought somebody made a quip like it already is or something. Yeah, yeah well, uh, too easy. I just have my <laughs> Pacino from Hate, and so. <laughs> <laughs> so he gives you a ring and told you to name your budget and choose any Oscar-winning movie to do a shot-by-shot remake of Lethal. Do we all agree this is Lethal? Yeah. I, no, I'll, I, I'm up for the challenge now. Okay. I'm up for the challenge. <laughs> so you fly to the States, get hammered with Barry... He even lets you have a go at flying Air Force One <laughs> after a <laughs> bottle of buck. <laughs> Classic night out. You sign the contracts. You wake up in the morning laying in a bath feeling an overwhelming sense of shame. Must, there must be at least five baths. <laughs> 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 We're all in the same bath. Like are are we all in the same get, bath? Getting get on a Greek bath like when I am, you know, rock out where cocks out. <laughs> getting scrubbed Steam down bath. scrubbed down by a young Filipino boy the one from like Scarface with coconut eyes like he's so you feel an overwhelming yeah. sense of we shame we have tats we need bras all that shit you know. so you feel an overwhelming sense of shame right it has why? to be shame why see I thought the mark? challenge was the, the alright go on ahead go on why you read over the contracts and realise that Barry doesn't have a fucking clue <laughs> <laughs> His favorite movie of all time is Paul Blart Mall Cop. And in the contract, it says, whatever movie you remake, Kevin James has to play the lead. No matter what, pure Bert. <laughs> See, uh, so what Oscar-winning movie do you choose to remake with Kevin James? Bonus points if you can try to convince me there's a role that he'd actually pull off. Just to say quickly, before we actually go into our answers, I'll give everybody some quick thinking time. When I first read this, 
uh, I didn't realize it said lead role. I just thought he had to be in it. So I was thinking Star Wars and Kevin James could play Jabba the Hutt because he's just a big fat mess. When I, I think you could pull it off perfectly. When I first read, That's I didn't realize. Son. When I first read, I didn't realize they specified Oscar winner. That makes it harder. Mm, I thought. We well, no, the, then you, then you could just say Paul Blart fucking three. Like. No, because oh, I was going to cheat it like that. No, I was going to say Battle Royale because every character is Paul fucking Blart, so he could just murder him. You know what I mean? Fucking, but that's that, that's not going to be the fucking do, case. Do, do you think he could play every character like fucking Eddie Murphy? Though? He's got range, like you know what I mean, man. He's obviously probably almost talented. See, I could, I could, I could, I could, it could just be twelve saying, overweight like, Chinese or Japanese. I would have said you turned into <laughs> like I said it before, the thing the the reason why Shia LaBeouf is fucking as famous as he is. I mean, I know he's not like a fucking superstar. I know he's probably he's like what what people say. Like. Fucking, he's he's pretty much an A-list super superstar, but he's not like you know he doesn't take the same decisions that other people take. But I think I think he's versatile, and I think that the reason for that is is because he he can do one of the hardest things, which is. Comedy scripts and comedy timing, those are two of the fucking, I personally think two of the fucking hardest things they do and perform. I know Arm Kevin James is really good at them. Mm-hmm. And Ke- and he can really do, like, I mean, he, I'm talking about King of Queens here, but, like, you know, a mixture of those, the reason you care about those characters, it's not just the jokes. It's because you Do you feel care it, about those characters, though? I, I like it. There's this sort of like thing online. Where Why the like, fuck really else do you want? If you didn't care about them, it wouldn't have done as well. Yeah. If people didn't care about it, it wouldn't have done as well. You know. But I, I think they get it, like, and he sells it, and you know I, what I mean. And that's 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 a hard. It's a hard sell. I, like. I agree that he's obviously a very capable actor when it comes to doing a sitcom and making a show very easy and very very watchable. But then. Going out the limb and saying that he's an amazing comedy actor, I think. I'm not saying he's an amazing comedy actor. I'm I'm saying that what what did I watch? I, I watched the film where zookeeper. Like a, no, <laughs> it is a, a dreadful title. It's it's some shit. Welcome to the punch or whatever that one was called. I, think, can, can I, I sound like that. Where is like a, a UFC, UFC fighter? fighter? Yeah. Ah, welcome, yeah. No, it's welcome to the something. Can I interject? I you're right. Welcome to the punch. Two seconds. Is that what it's yeah, called? It's such a bad name. Can I interject two seconds? It's very, very obvious that Kevin James wouldn't have got as far as what he got without having like fucking some sort of talent and doing like comedy characters. Or just being friends with Adam Sandler. Or being friends with Adam Sandler, which is a kind of cynical because, I mean, he had a career. I know, I don't, I don't want no, to be no, a dick about no, it. No, no, he didn't. Yeah, no, but, I mean, really the only thing I'm going to say is that he's obviously got talent that he can carry a certain amount of kind of comedic roar about a comedic head behind him and he can do it in a, in a, in a kind of good way. I think, though, he's one of those actors that is tarred by his own reputation of doing yeah. so much shit. Because, whereas, because let's be honest with you, right? The talent's well, in the choices, let's be and honest, he hasn't yeah. made a particular amount of good choices. Will like. Ferrell has done ridiculous amounts of shit, but he's also done you know some of the best comedy roles of the past maybe 10, 15 years. Know, but Kevin J... I'd say he's done a, I'd say he's done a limited amount of shit. I think most of Will Ferrell's outfit's pretty good. Like. No, Will Ferrell's a lot of bad stuff. What's that Spanish one again? He's got Lando Lost. He's got that Cassidy McPadre. He's got... Stand correct, that actually. Sammy Pro kicking and screaming. I'll actually say that Kevin James and Will Ferrell are completely different because the fact is Will Ferrell is an improv master. Kevin James is... Yeah, that's insane. I'm not taking anything away from him. There's some talent in that. But also as well, I want to just uh, fuck it. I want to see Kevin James and Capote. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's got he's got the bold. He's got the bold. That's exactly what I was like. Convince yeah. Paddy Durham why? Why? 
Yeah, it's, it's, Pat, it's Paddy Doran's score in this, so he'll get back to us, and then oh, let yeah. us know what the <laughs> Oh, is this Paddy Doran's podcast? Is he's going to score me? Hold on, he's... All right. I, I know, I, you get I, I thought, I said, I, I thought you meant he was composing it. I was <laughs> like, what? <"Whoa." laughs> I don't fuck about that. He, he'll give everybody points. It's Paddy Cash. Oh, right, okay, yeah, Paddy Cash. Cash. Right. Can I just interrupt? And I honestly didn't think this would descend into an actual conversation about Kevin James's talent. I knew. <laughs> I knew. <laughs> where, where else? Because you're the one that brought it up, Dick. No, I just thought it'd be a better crack and slagging off Kevin James. I mean, I'm sorry, Dan. I'm a Scapoli. Why not? Worst fucking argument of all time. I'm sorry. There's so many reasons why not. (laughs) (laughs) I'm defenseless right now. Right. I know most people have probably never seen. Is it Welcome to the Punch? Whatever the fuck it's called. Where plays UFC? Yes, that's what it's called. He uh, plays like a teacher in that, and it's a rip off of War. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a rip off of War. Why? Ah, that's the point of it. Then. Oh, no, I heard about it as well. <laughs> like uh, he keeps trying to pull uh, Salma Hayek on it, <laughs> 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 but like the only reason that you keep going is because, and it's not a particularly funny film either. Well, I, I just see, he's got form and not the form. I know, no, I know. <laughs> I know. He's consistent. <laughs> Look, I mean, he's funny bits and bobs and all there, but there's, it's one of those kind of, uh, what do you call it? Yes, please. Uh, what is it? Uh, like BK rewind kind of things, uh, where where it's sort of, people might have thought it was funnier, it was marketed as a comedy, but it's not really. It's about a drama trying to save something. It's yeah. a, a drama trying to save something in a school, and has Kevin James in it technically a comedy actor and that's what sort of happened in it but um it i it's the same thing i've said before like it really demonstrates humanity in it and it's it's just because he he just has the worst he must have the worst agent or he must read the worst scripts in the world because he doesn't try to show off anything and it's just you know he probably gets a fucking truckload of money to do something shit I, 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 I think he just does what he can get I, I don't know as well like I mean I think it's very very easy to point out an agent but at the same time I mean like he, he's quite he's got a pretty a good stand now in Hollywood his best friend's Adam Sandler who's a very powerful figure in Hollywood and every single role because I guarantee he could have way better roles than what he actually goes for but I think he's just chose easy roles where he doesn't have to fucking put that much effort on there because let's be honest with you look at this fucking film I know pronounce you Chuck and Larry uh, the zookeeper that welcome to fair enough I've not but seen welcome to some people like you know they come from a sort of line age like uh, that don't really care about yeah uh, that's and, that you know it, for them it's just like you know they're, they're and that's an, and that's like, what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, I'm not really criticizing. And he probably thinks it's not my responsibility. to yeah. they give you the next original. Like, had like a couple of roles where he's like, you know, stretch himself. I mean, the ones like Punch Drunk Love. I think he's very, very. He's good amazing in that. that. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. He's but you know, amazing, but on the whole, I mean, it's not like it really. Like it, like Jim Carrey as well. Obviously, he has really tried his, hard, his hand now. Uh, like yeah. He's, he's stretched out in the past couple yeah. of years. Right? But I mean. Maybe he just Kevin James just doesn't want to do it. Why would he? Won't he? But that's what I'm saying. Like that's what I'm saying. I'm I'm not I'm not criticizing Kevin James for doing that. I'm essentially saying that see if he doesn't want to challenge himself and he's fucking happy, like so many people will be to fucking cash on a ten million dollar check and fucking phone in a, a performance. Hey, yeah. fair play to him. Right, the better right, day. So, so we, we, I have discussed it enough now. Like what what is the question? Like what would you right. I, does I, it have to be a, a best picture winner or no, does it have o- to win any runner, kind of Oscar? Just any kind of Oscar. And he's the least. So my my answer was going to be King Kong. Okay. 
he could be King Kong. <laughs> uh, that's cruel. And just steal Leo Romini out of the window or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that since Kevin James has came on the scene, Jack Black's looking over his shoulder. He, <laughs> you know what I mean? He, he's, he's the fucking, he's the new go-to fat funny man. Like, you know what I mean? Jack, Jack Black's got some range. You're going to hate this, Sham, but you know what he could do? Or you could have a wee go at Jack Lemmon in the apartment. Oh! <laughs> Look at the background. He actually could have. Oh! <laughs> Fuck, I said my fear of foam. What? I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to. But you can see it, though. Don't toss the table, Sean. Hey, you can see it. Jack Lemmon in the apartment. Like, I mean, it, it, it probably exercises the same muscles Jesus. as with King of Queens, like a 95 job on man. <laughs> a oh boy fucking. God. uh Going to an office trying to fit in, just sort of not, not questioning the of fucking, the not not quite, not 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 the fuck, not questioning the man at all, and just having a liking for a woman, not unlike his wife. Of all Ken the Queens. best things that I've ever loved, and, uh, to compete with Lemmy's performance in that film, and Kevin James slothers out of your lips, I cannot believe uh, this. I know. And all fairness, so what a fine argument you just put across. <laughs> <laughs> The apartment. That's my one. Right? It's right. better than my argument. Why not? <laughs> Dan's argument was why not. So why, not? <laughs> why the fuck not? <laughs> All right. Did you have one? Terminator two. No. Lethal weapon. Lethal weapon. Oscar winner. Oscar winner. We literally just said that. Was it called an Oscar winner? It was won it? some kind of Oscar. <laughs> oh, actually, what the other the apartment won any Oscars? Uh, oh no! I actually went there. I, 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 what the fuck? Of course not. Oh. Sorry. Apologies. As as the Star Wars. As the Star Wars. Lord of Although the actually, I think I want to clear. <laughs> Would he be a Lord of the Rings? <laughs> Gimli. Oh no! Well, Gimli's not a lead. No, no, Gimli's no, no. Not it has a lead. to be a lead. Does it have to be a lead? I, I know so that. That's what. So Hang like actually, Wars. I think it has to be. I think it has to be the lead. Yeah, the lead. The lead. So he would have to be Frodo. That could work. That could work. Uh, no, but, <laughs> no, but I, I want to bring I want to bring up something I mean to bring up on that the podcast that I said I said before on the podcast that Rocky beat out Star Wars for the best picture. Should we see Kevin James that, Rocky that year at the Oscars? Good, I, 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 no, no, but didn't uh, Rocky came out the year that Star Wars was up for the Oscar? Like it beat Star- Taxi Driver. Rocky beat Taxi Driver for Best Picture. What, what was yeah, like aye, Rocky aye, was the year sh- after. Right. You know what I mean? Like it yeah. came out in seven, aye. like seventy eight. Jesus, that year was Star Wars was seventy seven. Was it a like, strong year? Jesus, it was. Uh, it was it was Annie Hall beat Star Wars. Mm. Annie Hall. But yeah, because I, I said Jesus, that on you could see him playing a couple of fucking Woody Allen characters, couldn't you? No. Kevin James, he fucking is in New Yorker. Of course, he fucking could. No. All right, then, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, Woody Allen's like Manhattan. He's Queens, isn't it? Do you know what you could yeah, see him playing? You see him playing Bradley Cooper's part in Silverline's playbook. Not an Oscar winner. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it is. Oh, I'd see. I, I thought it was Best Picture. It just has to be any Any kind of Oscar. So I was, I was thinking of, like, score. Any kind of Oscar winner, but... I think sure, you could King see Kong it. didn't win Best Picture. Uh, yeah, sure enough, I don't, you I don't could see. Enough. I think you could see him playing Bradley Cooper's part in Silver Dance. Uh, you can actually Titanic? see it. Oh, I, I'm getting myself in the condition. You're all fuck off, Bradley. Fuck the shape right. 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 You could cut a fucking diamond off that <laughs> fucking nipple there, boy. Right, you know I mean? Shan, you're the only one that hasn't given an answer. Although Harry's wasn't valid. <laughs> I would say right. I could honestly, honestly see Kevin James in Schindler's List. <laughs> As Oscar Schindler, 
as Oscar Schindler himself. Is it Oscars? It Oscar? is Oscar Schindler. Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. Now, the uh, reason that the I reason. say this, I have absolutely no... I'm just going to fucking spitball this as I go along, right? But, essentially, the character of Oscar Schindler, it doesn't matter who actually plays him, it doesn't matter who actually looks like Oscar Schindler, Liam Neeson must choose because of his previous work, but is oh, Oscar no, Schindler... because they always made lists. But is Oscar Schindler not supposed to be the symbol of humanity and goodwill to the downtrodden people? Hence the Jews. Kevin Smith, like you were saying, can show humanity, can show that he's a nice person, but doesn't quite Kevin have to James. go... Kevin James. What? You said Kevin Smith. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Smith can do that as well. Kevin James. Kevin James can show that humanity, like you said, why you like King of Queens so much, so obviously you could slot on that rule, no bother. Right. You I think because like <laughs> Kevin James, every once in a while he makes calm laugh in King of Queens, that he is... Does there has, be has, I, I know. He has the core... Of a human being, this goodness, resolve in him <laughs> to save so many Jews in the face Honestly, of natural oppression. Dan, I, I, I Dan, Dan, the apartment Dan. Is, is probably the only reasonable argument. Dan, oh, no, 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 he no, looks like a putty. There, two seconds. <laughs> if he's the king of queens, right? That's like saying, "Oh, your dad looks like a putty. He's fucking perfect." <laughs> Dan, Dan, he's better. Than your dad, your dad doesn't even fucking look like a putty. Dan. <laughs> That's, that's true. <laughs> you know what I mean? He looks down like I put it in fairness. Like if he's a king of queens, why can't they be king of the Jews? You know what I mean? That's why I think about Jesus. <laughs> well, he could be the new Jesus. Passion like Christ. Passion like Christ. There we go. Anyway, <laughs> there we the, go. La- the last temptation of James. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I had a second we one We need to talk well. about Kevin. <laughs> James. <laughs> I had a second one as well. Bowling for Columbine. He could be Michael Murray. Oh, that's that's oh. a winner. That's a winner. There we go. That's right he's there. got that. That's it right there. Paddy Dorn, give me your points. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, better, Paddy, you better send us a danger bottle now. Paddy, I'm speaking directly to you right now, okay? Just picture, right, the next time you're watching Schindler's let's just picture Kevin James in that role. He could be the saviour of all fucking humanity. Think about it. It's give me the points, son. It's the and if you don't, don't like, just... Right, Harry, have, have you thought of, <laughs> I thought of a legal argument? Oh, no, I didn't think of a legal argument. I thought of uh, <laughs> something for Shan's film, for Hands Off Kevin. Oh, a sheathal weapon? What? <laughs> <laughs> You're all about the fucking sheets tonight. It's handjob Kevin. What? What about handjob Kevin? Hand Kevin James. James could be. Aye, well, that's not bad. Actually. <laughs> no, but handjob Kevin's supposed to be a thirteen-year-old boy. Well, no, friend, that's right. Yeah, you're exactly right. That Kevin's supposed to be a thirteen-year-old boy who lives in a bus is, shelter. Is he versatile? <laughs> could, could you believe Kevin James is a thirteen-year-old boy who lives in a bus shelter? I think Kevin so. James is <laughs> a thirteen-year-old boy who winks off local council members. He's a big man. He has no wrinkles. He could pass for thirteen. <laughs> he, he could pass for a really fat thirteen-year-old. I could. Yeah, definitely. Why not? Just just make the bus shelter a bit taller so he looks smaller. <laughs> it's that whole force or perspective not, like, thing. Shoot him from very yeah. far away. <laughs> yeah, work. Is that awesome? Uh, yeah, Hopefully. so Paddy Dorn, collate your points for each person. Send them in this. Let us know who the winner was. Kevin James Kingley Jews. <laughs> and uh, we'll... Do, we'll and I know. Send us on a prize as well, sure. Send us on a prize. Oh. <laughs> doesn't care. <laughs> Will we wrap it up there then, folks? Bang. Oh no, recommendations. recommendations. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck, I. Recommendations. Uh, I'll go first. Go oh, fuck. Uh, I recommend uh, The Wolf Pack. Mm-hmm. Everybody seen it? Oh, the documentary? Have we talked about it before? Have you talked about it before? Uh. Did you have like a good while back? But. No, he doesn't count. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I joke. I joke. Yeah. No, but uh, I 
Watch that there. Don't drink a hate. I thought there was a lot less in that class. I did that, okay? For the listeners, we just burst into laughing. Was Daniel was trying to pour himself a glass of what do you what do you call the O'Connell's O'Connell's cream whatever? But the glass was sat on the table and there were several bottles around it. So he tried to do a wee high pour. A wee Tom Cruise cocktail job. He was trying to be fun, so he thought business. He just thought, I got this shit. Well it looked like he had your eyes wide shut the mail That was actually incredible He tried to do a wee high high pour and just missed the glass completely and now the table's just completely covered in O'Connell's cream. Not for the first time, like, hey, hello. Is that a common joke? Those way, like, Aaron. <laughs> Sorry, Paul. All right. Uh, <laughs> Wolfpack. Not the first time we covered the conversation with Cream. Oh, oh, oh. Dirty. Cut that the fuck. Do. Please do. Do. Just again. But, uh, no, uh, the Wolfpack, uh, you said G. You already talked about it. Um, just he just as as of what I would watch, but not a recommendation. Aye, um, it's about uh, a family of I think it's it's between it's between about five to ten uh, children. I mean, they focus on some more. The director focuses on some more than others, and it's hard to tell sometimes. Like there's two guards, and I think there's five or six boys, because there's only a few of them that would sort of come forward and talk. Um, that's why it's hard to sort of tell, and they all look really, really like Ronnie Shot. But uh, <laughs> pretty much um, because their father was like, uh, was uh, Krishni. Uh, he kept them in an apartment from when they were born until they were 18 in the Lower East Side, New York. And they were homeschooled by their mother. And I think they were let out like once or twice a year. And it's. Uh, it's a strange one because on the surface it can seem quite de- quite depressing, but if you even ch- just check out the trailer, like one of their their best pastimes is they get handed a camera and they start remaking their favorite films. They start remaking Pulp Fiction and The Dark Knight and all these sorts of films, and they actually they transcribe uh, screenplays from watching it with the subtitles on, and. The me is just, it's such a great film about the sort of just hope and the human spirit mm. and just like I you know that eventually they do realize this is a bit fucking mental and a bit wrong and uh, things do happen but and things do really surprise you about the people you think will leave and the people you think won't leave and it it's just it's it it's just a seriously interesting uh doc about just that suggestion alone yeah. is fucking really interesting Harry do you have a recognition? The Truman Show ah sweet you know you were saying earlier Dan about 
Jim Carrey kind of like expanded himself the last couple of years. It's not kind of his, it was kind of his first dramatic role. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was near enough. I think because it was, it was, it was, sort of, it was sort of marketed a bit like a comedy, wasn't it? No, um, I, no, Harry, I think you're exactly right because yeah. I think Truman Show was '97, and up until then, just before that, it would have been the Cable Guy and Liar Liar and Ace Ventura. So I think uh, that pretty much was his first dramatic role. I think it was. Just I know, but I think, Cable Guy I, think I think Dan's right that it is. It was kind of marketed more as a comedy, mm. just or to kind of get people sort of. Yeah. yeah but reason why I like the film, like I watched it very recently, and it was only recently that I thought when you watch the film, you realise it's such, you know, a real dramatic show, you know, that this whole man's life is a lie. He's been a farce now. You know, his parents aren't real, his wife's not even real, all his friends aren't real. And then I'm sure Ed Harris. Again. Ed Harris again. The director. Yeah, he's director of the show, eh? You know, they, sure, they organise a way for him to not you know go exploring beyond where he lives yeah. to give him a fear of water by ha- having his dad supposedly killed off yeah you know as well for the time that film came out that you know it's very strange then you know a few years later you had the entire big brother thing mm. that started like that came after and you know obviously it's not to the same extent but it sort of became like reality tv which has sort of gone more celebrity oriented now it's not really more about like there's goggle box i think that's the new incarnation yeah of but i think but they're, they're more like they're vetted so much or you know or sorry vetted and looked into so much that i think it's more but i know what you're saying it used to it's be the worst remember e4 one stage I, I refuse i've never watched a single episode and I never will but yeah. i go no, it used to be like twenty four seven e4 when big brother was on over here right, you should sit down and you could watch these people just sit about it's like, a, like a human zoo. It was like you know, and it wasn't a Truman Show that inspired that. That's the way TV was going. I think that film really tapped into something that was. But it, the it, way it, of TV as well, actually, yeah, around but, that time. But that's why I think the Truman Show has not only stood the test of time because it's an excellent film, but it's just unbelievably prescient, and it actually kind of grows in relevance as the years go on, and as reality TV gets more and more fucking mm. ridiculous. Because the Truman Show was 97, and I think the big spit of reality TV maybe came out just at the turn of the century, 99, mm. 2000. And what I find sort of cruelly ironic is that the Truman Show was skewering this sort of TV before this TV even existed. But then that sort of TV grew about two years after that. My recommendation is Marion Max. Yeah. Anybody see it? Yes. That's fucking amazing. Uh, Tony Collette, Phil Seymour Hoffman, 2009. Is, is it actually stop motion or is it just kind of done to look like something? I think it's, it's, it's a mixture. It's like I the Paperman. I sort of think it's a mixture. I think so. Yeah. Did you ever see the Paperman? Yeah. Either we sharp. I think it's that, but it's like a bit darker on that. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, well, much darker, you would say. But anyway, Mickey. But yeah, it's just about this relationship that develops between Mary and Max. Finally, they just send <laughs> letters <laughs> between each other. They become pen pals, and it's just how their relationship develops. I don't really have much more to say than that because. You can't really go much on the. the it's just well, th- g- give it a wee bit more because it's it's somewhere between a pen pal relationship and there's a guy Pierce film. Somebody's ever seen it, where he's in prison and he finds a pen pal who is a young guard. He pretends he's he pretends he's like fucking really rich and in Australia and stuff. And then he would adopt her because she's in a really bad family. But then she finds out he's in prison and this kind of thing. I, I think it's it's like it's a really innocent drama, but you keep finding out things that make it darker. It's yeah. that's the other side of the spectrum, that Guy Pierce film. I can't remember yeah. the fucking name of it. 
I think it's, it's a really good film. I think it's quite interesting she brought Maria Max up because it was in between. I think it was a film obviously that Dan was talking about earlier on, uh, Adam Lisa. But I that's think that's what made me think. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's it's just very very interesting that that is an exceptionally human film. Adam Lisa is an exceptionally human film. I think that it's a very sort of strange sort of I don't know paradox in a way that for you to get like the kind of best of humanity out of a film or to get that message through you way better than what you usually will through live action that somehow animation or stop motion could do it better I don't want to go on that because we could talk about that all night Shanko uh, my recommendation uh, 1987 Alan Parker film called Angel Heart no it's a favourite of uh, Colm Hearns as well it's yeah. yes <laughs> Mickey Rourke uh, Robert De Niro and Lisa Bonney and it's I mean like we're talking and on about like uh, neo noirs this is a big time neo noir essentially uh Mickey Rourke's the main character. He has to investigate. Uh, the, well, Robert De Niro. Mr. Sefier. Mr. Sefier. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Robert De Niro's character, who is uh, Louis Sefier, uh, basically puts him on this journey to uh, start looking for... What is it? Johnny Favorite? I, Johnny Favorite. Johnny Favorite. But uh, Louis Sefier makes him look for Johnny <laughs> Favorite. And it's essentially then this kind of standard... Uh, well, I wouldn't say standard, but it kind of goes on that noir territory of you have the P.A., who's Harry, it's Harry Angel on it? Harry Angel. Harry yeah. Angel, who's Mickey Rourke, and he's looking for Johnny Favourite at the behest of the nearest character, Lucifer. And then as it goes on, it goes really into this deep, dark world of fucked up, like, voodoo and rituals and graphic, magic. proper. So it's pr- like, it's graphic turned up, like. Yeah, big time. It's completely in the occult, uh, and it's, uh, as Heron said, very, very sovereign gothic. And then as it gets deeper and deeper under the plot, the darker it gets. And then towards the end, it's like, what the fuck is going on? You just realise how fucked up it is. But the thing is, is again, like Mickey was saying, towards the end of that film, I don't want to give too much away because, you know, there is a sort of... There's a surprise at the end and it kind of turns the whole narrative on its head. But I, I would say that it's an absolute journey where it starts like most of these fucking films do where Harry Angel just picks up this wee job which he thinks is just going to be a knockoff two days sort of affair you know maybe it's you know training a boy and finding his identity giving it the Lucifer and then obviously find out what's going on this gets deeper and darker and then it actually then goes outside the realms of reality so it's a film noir that then in a way becomes like a sort of I wouldn't even it's it's a film noir or a new noir that becomes a human horror film that then becomes a horror film in many ways mm-hmm. you know what mm-hmm. I mean like a yep. standard horror film cool. so it's it's this perfect merge you say genres Bonnet is that Marita Saw from High Fidelity on that yes that's Aye. her she got fired from the Crosby show because of that because for, cause yep. there is a sex scene in yeah. Angel Heart uh, she got fired I'm going to fire you. Do you know what I actually? I, I thought you were going to say she got fired. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know what I? You know what I'm saying? Love she, is she, she got fired. Lisa Bonet, she got sacked off a of Cosby show because she got a full-on sex scene in that film. And then what I absolutely love is that she got sacked off that for being like uh, too gratuitous or too sexualized because she was playing like a 17-year-old character in a Cosby show. And then uh, look what's happening with Bob Cosby now these days. Looking at him, and you you loved that. No, I hated that. Like, well, you just said you loved it. Did I say I loved it? You know what I mean. He loved the irony. He loved the I love the cruel irony of it. Jesus, Mickey. He gets sacked off a Hollywood show for. Being I don't a love sex offenders, Mickey. I was just trying to point. Wow. He gets sacked off a Hollywood show for being a fucking creep. Just <laughs> <laughs> your words, not mine, Shanko. Uh, Dan Kell. Aye. Recently, I watched Election. 
and uh, I thought it was fantastic. Fantastic. Actually, part of version erection. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> talking about that. Uh, that's awful. Talking about uh I was creeps. looking at my erection there this morning. It was great. No. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Serious? <laughs> uh, it was alright. Eh? <laughs> considering the maids, like. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, about creeps. Do you have M ones that make it smaller or bigger? I don't think they exist, well, Mickey. Jesus. No, I, I uh, put us it, put it this way. <laughs> Maybe I was hanging out of my hole yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> you were technically a woman for twenty four hours. Aye. <laughs> Back to but, but, I, but I could have ass fucked anybody. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? I could have bummed including yourself. I could have bum bummed. <laughs> I wouldn't have had a look at it. I could have looked the other way and just sort of shifted up. You know. Aye. Ah, election's really good because you know talking about creeps. There's a couple not for them, <laughs> but uh, as well, no. I actually told my voiceovers earlier on. It's actually uh, what I really loved about it is that uh, at the very start you see these two characters, Matthew Broderick uh, and uh, Reese Witherspoon. Reese was a fantastic actress as well, even when she's so young in this. She's really uh, very good. I mean, Oscar winning as well for Walk yep. the Line. Bush. But uh, as well, at the very start you see these two people are very, very deluded and like sort of wrongly minded people. But then as the film goes on, you realize that you know. The way Tracy Flick, Reese Witherspoon's character, sort of, I don't know, the way she's sort of driven, that will lead to success because she'll stop it in the Hyundai win. But Matthew Broderick's just a better bastard. There's times where, like, some, literally, like, the worst thing that can maybe happen in your life happens to him, but he's still playing it out in his head as if, you know, it's just a normal thing to do. Oh, yeah, this will all be grand. All this is fine. That's the best thing about America. You can start over again. Uh, I thought it was, like, it's one of those films that is always cropped up. I've seen people say they really, really enjoy it. And to be honest, I didn't know a lot about it. But then looking at it, I saw Alexander Payne directed it. And to be honest, the direction is very good. A lot of dynamic camera movements. So the camera doesn't stay too long in any scene. It jumps from person to person. And at times as well, it packs quite an emotional punch. There's, there's a couple of really good making ofs of, of that film. And there's this scene where he gets nabbed. Mm. Well, not just say what he gets nabbed for, but he gets nabbed, and uh, I think there was a big argument over the editor says, "No, I've got a way of cutting this. I think it's really, really good." And Payne was like, "No, I have it in my brain how it's whatever." And he says, "Right, just just do me a favor and watch this here." And like apparently it was a, it was a real thing to get Payne to watch it. Mm. Like, it's no, a no, pain no. to get Payne to watch hey. it. Yeah. yeah. But uh, what do you call it? He does. I mean, apparently he did eventually, and and he was just like, "Fuck, actually, no, that's." Uh, he, he says that's that's actually class yeah, and he says and that's the style he says that's, that's sort of a, the editor kind of realised the style more than, than Payne did nearly yeah. and I think then they kind of overhauled the film a wee bit on oh, the head just, 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 yeah. just that quick sort of editing you know the well, back yeah, and no, forth because yeah, it was going to be like a straight scene it was going to be like a sort of a you know like a wide shot sort of stage box Wes Anderson kind of and even Alexander yeah. Payne's style thing but the editing kind of made that scene. To be honest, that one scene actually really stood out to me because it's like, you know, I mean, obviously we know it's some, it's some films. The editor's the yeah. kind of thing in that scene. You know, yeah, like. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just face on face on face and eventually just keeps clicking mm. up and you, all the only thing that you see in between them all is just these accusatory eyes. Yep. I mean, there's some really stuff as well I talk about because looking at the election, to me, oh, it's set in a 90s high school, it's this teacher that doesn't get along with this really perfect pupil. I thought it was going to be like, you know, quite cookie cutter, but a bit funny, Maybe like a Mean Girls type thing. Yep. Watching it, God, it got very dark very quick. Mm-hmm. This sort of idea as well of like, you know, uh, there's some early scenes that maybe it's in Matthew Broderick's head that he seems to think that like Tracy Flick's coming to him in like a sort of sexual way. And it's like, you know, we're talking about a minor girl who, you know, like, I'm not really spoiling this in the first like, no, 10 minutes yeah. of the film. Yeah. 
and you know there's there's so many examples of an unreliable narrator in it that there's one of my favorites is tracy flick is the voiceover of her she's having sex with this man who's her teacher and she says in her head oh well it's not like it was because i didn't know my dad you know it's not like a daddy issue he just you know he just loved me and made me feel safe and, you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and it's like as well then you have matthew broderick's character thinking oh i didn't resent her for like my friend having to leave his work you know i didn't resent her at all and he's like tracy and telling her off immediately yeah. like, and, and he says like who the fuck she thinks she is and these people are just masters of self-delusion Aye. yeah no the only thing i was going to say about alexander payne and i think that it is uh obviously very evident in the election which one of his first uh films like it's what 1999 was it the only thing, and I think I was saying the uh, out the bag one. It's, it's the two thousands. No, don't no, know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Relevant, but what's quite interesting about Alexander Payne is the fact that he is one of the few non-bankable directors in America who gets final cut privilege. The only does he actually? Yep, he gets final cut privilege. Terence Malick does, the Coens do, and uh, Woody Allen does. Fincher right. and Fincher does as well. But I mean, uh, like we were saying at the bank, Fincher's become more bankable now. Sure. with some of the prize you've been doing. But I just think that usually you get final cut privilege if you're bankable in America, like the Spielbergs or Ridley Scott's Peter Jacksons. Mm. But I find it even more interesting if a director, maybe in the India circuit of some repute, gets it because it's built not on money but on reputation alone. And he gets uh, that on the reputation that, that the fact that his films are good and they stand out from the crowd. What about like Soderbergh? I'm not sure if Soderbergh is Aronofsky. Kind of cut, but the thing is, Soderbergh near enough produces his own ones too, does he not? It pretty much, yeah. I, I, to be honest, I would say Soderbergh start, started off as an editor, right? And the way he, like, he was an editor of, like, music videos and ads and that kind of stuff, you know. And the way it works, I think, with Soderbergh is he pretty much cuts most of the film the way he wants to cut it. He hands it yeah. to an editor and he says, right, tidy that up or come up with something that you think might be even better. Also, yeah. Soderbergh and does stuff that's micro-budget at times too. Like, you he know, does, it's very, I, and very I think, you know what I mean, like, and I, you know... You know, if it's not if it's not the whatever, I mean, he's a fucking editor. He knows how to put it together. But the thing, the thing that um, the only one of Payne's films that I think lacks it is that a sentence. But there's a there's a real quality Payne's films where, uh, and people always talk about this this fine line between comedy and drama, and Payne does it really well. Where he, you know. <sighs> You feel bad for the character, and you're kind of going, "Oh fuck, I could nearly see myself doing that." Yeah, yeah. Then you kind of go with them, and you're like, "Oh, I'm going down the rabbit hole as well." But that's you know actually what I mean? the main and part of it, his films. That's that's Hamlet. That's his style. But like. the main part of his films is that obviously he usually can use these themes of middle-aged people who are going through a sort of midlife crisis that you can completely identify with, even if you're not middle-aged, because they're exceptionally human people Aye. who've got very real sort of non-Hollywood flaws that would not usually be kind of highlighted in a uh, Hollywood narrative and that's what uh, kind of buys you into those fucking narratives you can uh, identify straight away even if you're not uh, the same generation I actually think uh, it's sort of weird because a lot of directors go bigger and bigger and bigger with their films whereas Payne goes, yeah. has went smaller no, he's, he's because his biggest film the, the, the biggest film that is, is like uh, in terms of scope and that last scene in Washington about well I'll not to say what happens but there's a, a sequence in Washington at the end of the election yeah and uh, you're kind of going, holy fuck, he's yeah. talking about a generation. He's talking yeah. about a whole generation. Whereas his, sequ- his, his fallen films don't do that as much. I mean, they they even they, they drift into characters that are even more well, obscure. Well, Nebraska, in fairness, like. 
No, but it does. No, but it it's, about a, it's about a small group of characters. It's about a small group of characters. But it's no, but it's, it's not about characters something. that can become senators or whatever. I think election was talking about. Well, no, I said election was the last thing was in like New York City. But I know what you're saying. Like I, oh, well, sorry, maybe no, 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 no. But you're right. No, but you know, it is that entire idea. She's like you know with a Republican senator, and I know what you're saying. It's just her idea where you have like the Matthew Broderick character looking at her thinking. Oh, who the fuck is she? But then at the you same time, anywhere if you're the right kind of asshole, yeah, yeah. Pretty much. and then yeah, exactly. But then you also have this idea where like you know he's just a better bastard, and she's someone he actually has drive in her life. But th- that, that's a, that's uh, honestly that's the that's the whole theme of of all of his films is you can get anywhere if you're the right kind of asshole and. The characters that he always focuses on is the character that doesn't get there like because the he's not an asshole. No, but not, not, I wouldn't even say the wrong kind of asshole. I would always just, just see the, has, the has good, main ca- the, the good character. Has main characters are the people who've been kind of held down by the fact Aye. that these assholes can fucking succeed in life. But you know what I mean? They always question themselves for going, why am I not an asshole? Why, why can I not do this? But they are and assholes, they co- though. They are assholes, right? But, I mean, they, they I mean... But I think it's more the fact that they're just human. They're very flawed. And when you actually kind of, if you're that, dis- if you're that desensitized, it is. But if you're that, it is. No, but I'm that, thinking of a yeah, idea, agree If you're that desensitized, they just looking at these kind of greater than great, you know, gr- amazing characters on screen. If you actually kind of take a step Aye. back and look, you know, these aren't actual people. Aye. But then I think it's more uncomfortable when you when you watch a pain film because you think, oh, he's a wanker. But then when you think to yourself, you know. You think, oh fuck! I can identify many traits with that person, or I know people Aye. who are like that. Aye. And then you start to realize, no, this is one of the few directors who puts actual people on screen. Exactly you know I mean? right. Th- th- there's a couple of things about Paul Giamatti's character and Sideways, right? A lot of people fucking really say, oh, he's a through and through good character. He's not. He's not. There's a couple of moments in it, right? They're very subtle, but they're very good. And it's uh, when he says the Thomas Edinger's character. Um, uh, she's a fucking bartender and I'm an English teacher how's that ever going to work mm-hmm. you know he said that's a fucking cunty remark like yeah. that's a really wankery remark right and then there's a there's another moment then where uh, they both they, they, they're at um, they're at that house the one that Tom uh, what do you call her she's in Grey's Anatomy fucking hell Sandro is it Alexander Payne's ex-wife is it right yes. okay and uh they're at her house in in sideways, right? And uh, pull pull a bit of a bottle of wine, and himself and uh, Virginia Madison were drinking away the wine. And uh, he takes a sip, and she takes a sip, and he says, "Oh, it's great, and it's, it's very good, and all." And then she turns around and goes, "No, um, I don't think it is." And she goes, uh, "I think the alcohol uh, overwhelms the fruit. I think they overdone it a bit." And then he's sort of going. He's kind of stumped a bit because he thinks he thinks he, he, well in a previous scene he called her a fucking bartender, mm. and it's this condescension of being a a school teacher. You know, what I mean, he's not all good. Like he, yeah. even even though he's a technically the good character in the film, he's not all good. He well, still he's still has these pretense, isn't he? Like, you know, exactly, he it's a pretense. Like yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it's it's a uh, he has a constant sort of, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's a lot of assumptions about people. Yeah, uh, do you know what I mean? And then uh, eventually takes a sip and he goes. Jesus, actually, we're right on the money. Yeah. And uh, but then he actually turns around and says something that a teacher has always said. This instead of going "fuck, I'm good," he says, "Oh, yeah, yeah, very good." Yeah, like a teacher would. But it's like it's a really good way of doing it. The way Giamatti does it, like Giamatti, the the way they act that out is really it's fucking right on the money. Like like the way he would have done it, so very good. You know, as in he's I the pr- fucking I, wine I, expert, I, yeah, yeah. and I you 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 you've suddenly went, "Oh, that's great." 
So whatever you know what I mean. Yeah. But it's he's the authority in that it's, situation. It's very yeah. great subtle acting, but well, that was a very painful discussion. Oh, <laughs> oh God! Oh, Star- God! Start about Star Wars, Mickey. Jesus. Ah. It's that time. I was waiting to make a joke. Okay, and we'll wrap it up there, folks. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to get in contact with us, like Patty Doran did, Hero. you can find us on Facebook, Let's Talk More Movies Podcast. You can find us on Twitter, at Talk More Movies, oh, or you can email oh, us, oh, Let's Talk More Movies, at gmail.com. You can use comments, reviews on iTunes, Acast, Stitcher Radio, whatever you like. I have been your host, Michael Breslin. Oh, shit. Shackle's been Shackle. Yeah! DK's been DK. Oh, yeah. Hari has been half hang Hari. Yeah. And Calm Heron has returned. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Episode <laughs> 39! Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Happy birthday to me. Shut the fuck up. Is your birthday tomorrow? No, it's in two days. Oh, fuck it. I'm not here. Nobody way. give up. <laughs> Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 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 Mm